single Wednesday. Actually, it's Tuesdays and Thursdays now. I always remember it's Wednesdays and Thursdays, but <laughs> we flip-flop it, but it's every Tuesdays and Thursdays only on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Go download our app on iOS. It's WWSRN or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Speedy, what's going on, man? Well, had a good Father's Day weekend. Went up to see my father. I uh, didn't even know you went to Connecticut. Well, we were so busy on Friday. I, n- I guess I never came up because I know you had your wedding to go to and we were trying to cram everything in. I, so I, <sighs> what I, I, a busy I guess, weekend. I guess man. I never came up. But yeah, we, I ended up uh, visiting him. We we did some uh, outdoor grilling. Actually, my brothers did a lot of it this time around. Dylan and Ian Ryan wasn't there. And then we went to the beach for a little bit on that day, too. We couldn't stay there all day because it was so hot, but we, we, we went about for an hour. I actually like the weather here in New York. I mean, it's been back and forth, but this past week, weekend, it was in the 60s and the 70s. I like that weather. Um, obviously, it's probably going to get hotter. Today, it was like 85, 84 mm. at some parts of the day. Early this morning, it was like 68. I like that kind of weather. But the, the transition of the, the different weathers, especially being in Florida, uh, a little bit a little bit of time I was down there. So it's just it's different. It's, it's a different type of place. Uh, you know, when you go down to Florida, you go to Clearwater, you go over there and you're checking out places uh, you know, over there for your mom. And then you, you come over here. It's just it's different. It's just completely different. The weather. But I like the weather. It, it's completely a change of. Scenery. How's that sound? Anyways, Josh is over there. He says Saturday was gross. Uh, I don't know what that means. But... Too freaking windy. Yeah, well, for a teacher, you have the wrong. Well, two. it wasn't. It wasn't that bad. I, I mean, early early in the day was beautiful. A little bit later in the day, it started raining. It got a little cold. So, and he was at the baseball game. He was at the Mets game against Miami. So, of, of uh-huh. course, uh, you know, and that was his son's first baseball game. At, at yeah, I saw the picture. I think I think his son's almost two years old now. So uh, he's one, but he's he's going on yeah, two, right? Uh, and he's hanging out in the pool with his first time swimming. In his little tube, in his glasses, yep. leaning back and relaxing. I mean, who who has a better life than his little son? So, um, anyways, we have a great show lined up for you guys. Um, at 10 o'clock, we'll be talking to Cavaliers radio play-by-play broadcaster Tim Alcorn. He's going to be joining us again. He loved coming on the show. He was so excited to come on the show again. And we're very lucky to have him come on 
uh, a little bit later in the show. At 10.30, we'll be talking to Tigers and ex-White Sox relief pitcher Bruce Rondone. He'll be joining us uh, with, uh, I guess, his wife? He's his wife be- is going to be a translator for him because he is not super fluent in English. So she'll be coming on on audio, not on the screen. Uh, his, I'm sorry. His son is seven months old. Oh. It just shows you how quick life is. Uh, okay, Josh, maybe your son's seven months old, but I feel older by the day. So I guess, I, I don't know. I, I'm, losing, I'm losing time just as fast as my age. But anyways, um, we will get into the lightning uh, game number three, knocking off the Avalanche, which the Avalanche had a 2-0 lead. Uh, came back and just completely destroyed them last night. Uh, so we'll get, that, we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. Uh, could Kyrie Irvin leave the Brooklyn Nets? That's going to be the first topic we're going to get into uh, in just a few moments. The NBA draft is on Thursday. Could the Knicks trade up and make a big splash? Or do they trade for Donovan Mitchell uh, sometime in the next couple of days and trade away that pick? Uh, Rob Gronkowski retires again. Is this the end of Rob Gronkowski? That'll be the interesting. Uh, situ- that'll be an interesting situation moving forward as the season progressively comes to a beginning. We'll see if Tom Brady somehow talks Gronkowski into coming back. Um, a settlement is reached uh, for twenty out of the twenty-four. Uh, for Deshaun Watt, for the Deshaun Watson case, we'll get into that a little bit later in the show because that's a that's a heavy show that's a heavy piece of our show and I I do want to get into that at the end of the show because there's a lot to talk about with that and I'll tell you a little bit about the HBO special that I watched on this story and why I think Deshaun Watson decided to settle with these twenty different ladies. Um, Manny Ramirez comments on Derek Jeter would just be a regular player anywhere else but New York. So I, I've been talking about this a long time. Manny doesn't have to speak. I, I, I've spoken about this quite a few times on this show for years. And a little bit later in the show, I'm going to explain why I believe Derek Jeter, if he wasn't a Yankee, probably wouldn't be Derek Jeter. And so, and there's reasons why I think this. And, and, and yes, Derek Jeter was a great hitter with the Yankees. He also was protected in a lineup that was sensational in the 90s. And even in the early 2000s after adding A-Rod. And then, yeah. obviously, at Mark Teixeira came in the mix a little bit later in his career. So Swisher, Cano, Yes, yeah. we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. Uh, that, the last thing, just Mark's thing. He's not here tonight. Mark will not be joining us tonight. Uh, he has problems with his car. Shout out to Mark. Uh, he's probably going back down to Alabama. So uh, we're not going to get a chance to see him again. But... Uh, uh, a friend of the show, uh, Emmy Award winner for ESPN, and a guy that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. So shout out to Mark, a.k.a. Everett Kelly. He says um, there's a chance he might be able to come next week. We'll okay, say. we'll see. Uh, yeah. So he's staying out here for another week? I guess so. I guess there's something really bad with mm. his car. Uh, so why don't we get into this Kyrie Irving situation? And it, it's so funny because Josh Silverberg reached out to me today and, and yesterday, and he says, have you been listening to the stories about Kyrie Irving? And I said, yes, I, I've been reading all these different stories that Kyrie Irving uh, and the Nets are not agreeing to this max contract. Kyrie wants a super max contract worth about $263 million, where he would be the highest paid NBA player in NBA history. The Nets don't think he deserves it, obviously, because the guy doesn't play a significant amount of time. He's got problems not only with players on the court, but coaches. He's had how many coaches fired from different teams and different organizations he's played for. 
And the only player that he actually seems to listen to is LeBron James over there in L.A. now. But when you look at Kyrie Irving and, 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 and the different things about him, his personality, his beliefs as, as a player, not only with, uh, you know, the social studies of the world. <laughs> and I say social studies of the world because uh, some of the things that comes out of his mouth just make absolutely no sense. Studies. His studies, okay? Or whatever <laughs> you call it. His galaxy of wonder, all right? Sure. <laughs> Kyrie is one of the great young players, or I guess you can say veteran players in the NBA. He's 30 years old, going on 31. I think he has a good four years left in the NBA as a superstar player. He's one of the best, I believe, ball handlers I've ever seen. Allen Iverson says he's the best. Mm. But when you look at Kyrie Irving and what he has done Everywhere he's gone is completely toxic for any organization to take on. And you look at the New York Knicks, and I know the Knicks are obviously a prime suspect to the Kyrie Irving sweepstakes because the Knicks are looking for that superstar. The Knicks are looking for the guy that they can build their team around, even though I believe they have one in R.J. Barrett, not Julius Randle, of course. But... You look at the situation where the Knicks are. Could they handle a Kyrie Irving? Could they deal with a personality like Kyrie Irving in Madison Square Garden? And the answer is no. A clear no. And this team is right now dealing with a Julius Randle contract that even though it was worth every penny they gave to him because of the season that he had the year before, the man doesn't play well with good with young players. Now, his personality, and I will say this, his personality is very much like Kyrie Irving. He thinks he's better than what he is, and he believes he is a one, not a two or a three. And what I mean by one He believes he is the guy on an NBA team. Julius Randle is not the guy on an NBA team. Some people say he's a great number three and a decent number two. Kyrie Irving is a number one guy. Mm -hmm. The problem is he went to a team where he was number one and he really took a back seat to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And he didn't win anything. He didn't go anywhere. And then when he's gone, his team takes him all his team goes all the way to an NBA finals and Eastern Conference Finals without Kyrie. And botched the only coach that was actually good that he was with. You sit here today as a Nick fan. And you're sitting here and you're saying, We have a chance to get Kyrie Irvin. And you know what my answers to all those Nick fans that want Kyrie Irvin? Watch out for what you wish for. Because if somehow he talks to the New York Knicks into probably making a trade for him or making a move for him, it could set the Knicks back another five to seven years. 
You look at the, some of the young players the Knicks have, the Obi Toppins of the world, the Quigleys of the world, the Grimes of the world, or even R.J. Barrett. You have a core of young players. You can see that this future could be great. And maybe they make a move for Donovan Mitchell, which I think could be a better move than obviously Kyrie Irving because Donovan Mitchell is a New Yorker. He grew up here. His father played for the Mets. He works for the Mets. It makes sense. Kyrie Irving doesn't make any sense. He didn't make sense when he became a free agent and the Knicks were talking about bringing him in with KD. Mm -hmm. And the truth is... Kevin Durant was never offered a contract from the New York Knicks. I think the whole factor of the Kevin Durant sweepstakes at the time was he only wanted to be a Nick. And then Kyrie talked Kevin Durant into going to Brooklyn because Kyrie grew up a Brookwell, a New Jersey Nets fan, a Jason Kidd fan. Kyrie Irving to Dallas confirmed. <laughs> and Kevin Durant. I know a lot of people are probably sitting here today, including him, saying, why did he leave Golden State? Because he could be going home with another NBA championship on his wall. But we sit here today, and we're thinking the draft is two days away. We have a chance for Kyrie Irving. We have a chance for Donovan Mitchell. There are stories coming out that the Knicks could be interested in Rudy Gobert. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know why. And you sit here and you just wonder, why are the Knicks even thinking about selling out every single time the Knicks look like they know what they're doing? They fall apart. They throw away young players that they've built this team around for the last three seasons. And now it's obvious that there's going to be a sense of direction now because they're drafting well. A lot of the young players have come into their Somewhat own. Somewhat developed. Yeah, yeah, they come into their own a little bit. Obviously, not getting the playing time as much as they should in the second half of the season especially. But when they did, they looked good. Now, I was one of the people three years ago that did want, that did want Kyrie Irving, not because I loved him and not because I loved his drama, because I wanted Kevin Durant as a New York Nick. But now, obviously... Everything Kyrie has done since then, yeah, stay the hell away. And not only the Knicks, I don't know if any other like big market team is going to be one that can handle that kind of drama. Maybe besides the Lakers, but again, even so, the Lakers they just had they a got big, enough drama. They got a, yeah. I was just going to say they had a big drama th- season already as it is. Do they want another one? I mean, it might be their only shot at keeping LeBron. I don't know, but I mean, all three players on that big three are rumored to be traded at some point. Russell Westbrook, we were talking about it last week with the three-way trade. Anthony Davis has been swirling in different rumors. It's kind of died out a little bit, but still, uh, it, it's still very possible. So I don't know of any team. And then the other team I was hearing was the Clippers, too. But uh, again, I don't know. That would be the third max contract. It would be a pretty big max contract if they were to do that. And I, I sit here also thinking about what the Brooklyn Nets should do in the offseason. Obviously, Kevin Durant bought in on his contract with the Nets, so he'll be there for the next three years. And I I was talking to Josh about this today, and it's not crazy to seem to think this way. If I was the Nets right now, I have no future. Mm. I've got no future. Why not try to trade Kevin Durant? You traded away your future for James Harden, who's now playing for the 76ers. And then you take on a Ben Simmons contract, which to me is untradeable now. Nobody wants that contract. 
Nobody in the NBA will take on a Ben Simmons, so let's be honest, is a guy that doesn't want to play NBA basketball. He he believes he deserved that contract, and he still believes that he's a top-end, top-15 player in this league, which he's not. The guy can't shoot <laughs> anything. I mean, I can shoot free throws better than him. And I'm not even an NBA player. Okay, so I'm sitting here today, and I'm wondering what the Brooklyn Nets should do to rebuild this team. And Sean Marks could be on his way out. He is another Billy King. I'm sorry. I've say, I'll say this over and over and over again on this show. He has ruined this organization. Him making that move for James Harden, trading away all those pieces that were working was a mistake. Was an absolute mistake. And now you're looking at this team. Even if they decide, let's say they bring back Kyrie Irving. And they're probably going to. And they have Kevin Durant. They have Ben Simmons there. Are they a championship team? Are they ready to win now? The answer is no. They're not winning with that team. They'd be lucky to be a fourth or three seed in the NBA Eastern Conference. Mm Mm-hmm. Lack depth. They tried too much of the same tactics that might have worked six years ago, five years ago, in terms of building the big three. It's not the same way anymore. And now the Nets might find themselves in a lot of trouble if, because remember, Kevin Durant could also force himself out too if the Nets trade Kyrie Irving. That could well, no. He's. I think he agrees with Kyrie Irving getting traded. I don't even okay. know. I don't even think he wants him there. Mm. And if if he goes, how do they? rebuild this team? How do they find the player to play beside him? Be his Robin? Because Ben Simmons is not a Robin. I would say uh, he's a Catwoman or something (laughs) like that. That's where I think Ben Simmons is. I I can't see him as the Robin. He wasn't a good Robin with Embiid, with the 76ers. And yes, everybody says he's a three-time All-Star over there. He's a good defensive player. He's a great defensive player. He is a fantastic defensive player. But defense... As much as you need it on this net team, you need offense. You need guys that are going to give you 25, 30 points a game. Because if Kevin Durant's giving you 30 points a game and you're not getting enough off the bench, how are you supposed to win? Yeah, in today's NBA, a lot of the older teams, too, just not really doing it. You need some young depth. The Nets don't really have that either. Uh, Snug says, when I lived in Cleveland, I used to smoke a six-foot bong and crush a dozen cupcakes. I figured you would do something like that. <laughs> uh, where is he going to go? Portland, Indianapolis. Who knows? Uh, Manny is the man. Mark tried to put Alabama gas Mountain Dew in his car. Probably did. <laughs> I mean, that's, why his, that's why, probably why his car's not working. If you, I mean, and that's why he's here for another week. So, <laughs> yeah. Mark, you're more than welcome to come by. <laughs> <laughs> if, uh, if you could get $260 million for part-time work, oh, you're doing something, man. right? Uh, Josh says, Kyrie reminds me of Tyler. He doesn't make sense either. Yeah, he's probably right. <laughs> uh, Slick says, that was lazy. If you want to take Tyler shots, go for it, but at least put some thought into it. Kyrie Irving and Antonio Bryant need to do a retali- re- reality show together. Mm. Uh, Josh says, speaking of lazy, how are you, Snug? Uh, the Knicks and Kyrie <laughs> is kiss Matt. Whatever that means, Snug says. Uh, Josh says, I can't go January 6th jokes with Tyler again. Too sensitive. Snug says, Kyrie Irving to the Mets. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> no, this is funny. Josh says, Cohen can afford him. Yeah, he probably would be the only one. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I, honestly, where the Brooklyn Nets are, I think the Knicks are positioned in a better place as an organization. Crazy to say than yeah. the Brooklyn Nets. And that's not because I'm a Knicks fan. That's not because... I can't stand James Dolan, and I, I, I'm going to compliment James Dolan for staying out of 
this team and what Leon Rose has done over the last couple of years. I'm not going to say any of that because I don't know if that's true. But what I do know is that the Brooklyn Nets have no future. They've got nothing. There's nothing to look forward to with any of these players that they have on this roster. There is not a young player on this roster that really stands out that could be a star. I mean, the Knicks have one. They have R.J. Barrett, who could turn into a superstar in this league. The Nets don't have that. And Kyrie Irving being 31 by the end of this year, that is alarming if you're a Brooklyn Nets fan. Because if you don't win a championship with this team, with a Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, when are you going to ever win one? Yeah, you're talking about the lowest of the low possible scenarios. I know people love to bash LeBron for leaving Miami with barely anything and then leaving Cleveland with barely anything. When he, he still won with both of them. First of all, yes, he still won with both of them. Second of all, Miami was just Anyone fine. Anyone with the Lakers. Miami was just fine. They had two years out of the playoffs maybe, and then now they're back to being a powerhouse again. And now Cleveland's good again, too. They've got all the draft picks. They're a good young team, as we'll talk about later with Tim. And they're, they're looking good, too. So I don't think the Nets compared unless somehow they can hit on all these second-round picks again, are going to build anything like that. Uh, To me, and we should get Milholland on the show, Chris Milholland, who's a writer for the Brooklyn Nets. He travels with the Nets. I would love to hear what he thinks about this Kyrie Irving situation because, again, if you're a Nets fan, I I would even think to trade Kevin Durant. It makes a lot of sense. Right now, you're not winning anything. You should look towards making a move and possibly moving on from Kevin Durant. Now, Kevin Durant, even though he extended and he jumped into that contract that the Nets gave him, the three-year extension, it's still, to me, where the Nets are, they're not in control of their fate next year because I think the Miami Heat are going to be better next year. I think Milwaukee will be as good as they were this year. Even the 76ers, now with a full year with James Harden and Bede and obviously uh, Maxi, this is a good team. The 70, And they have Harris there. That's a good team. The Boston Celtics are going to be even better than they were this year with a first-year coach. They started off really slow this year, and then they went uh, hot. They, were, they got really hot in the second half. They were the hottest team in basketball. That's why they, they ended the season as the second seed. So there are a lot of other teams in the Eastern Conference that are only going to get better. They'll rule out Atlanta, too, if they make a big trade. And the Cavaliers are going to get better. Yeah, and the Cavaliers, yeah. So, again, if you sit back and you wonder right now, if you're a Brooklyn Nets fan, is is the answer Kevin Durant, is the answer Kyrie Irving? And the answer to me, as a fan and as an NBA uh, skeptic, the answer would be no. NBA skeptic. Hell yeah, that's that's pretty much the life of all Nets fans right now. Even like you were saying, Mil- it's, an, it's in the life of all Nick fans too. <laughs> even even like you were saying with Milholland, last time we had him on the show, he wasn't exactly impressed with the position they were in either. That's what we are. We're skeptics. Yeah, and he even said like I think even in the like even if all the big three were healthy, he still probably only thought of it was like a second round exit type team the way they're situated right now because of the lack of cap space, because of the lack of draft picks right now, and just the inability to make that. You kind definitely of trade. don't lack the idiots. That's yeah. For sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, you got two of them over there. Actually, three of them. Ben Simmons, Kyrie <laughs> Irving, and Kevin Durant. Who, by the way, and everybody's going to say, well, why do you think Kevin Durant's an idiot? I don't know. Maybe he has seven Twitter feeds and, and all of them uh, he believes or he's told people that he doesn't. I mean, when everybody has proven that he has. So, I, I mean, Kevin Durant has done some stupid things, you know, over the years. Not even on the basketball court, but off the basketball court. And then there's so, also Steve Nash as a coach. And, and by the way, <laughs> I heard there were stories coming out with the Brooklyn Nets. 
Steve, Steve Nash was throwing, he was having practices, and then after the practices, Kyrie was having his own practices. Oh, boy. Which is disrespectful. Oh. And by the way, Stephen A. Smith actually came out with that, so this is not a story. This is true. So, Stephen A. You Smith. You actually trust out. Stephen A. Smith? Yes, absolutely. When uh-huh. it comes to basketball, yes. Okay. I think Stephen A. Smith knows the game. He knows basketball. I, not boxing, by the way. Stephen, you know you don't know boxing, even though you, you like to think that you do. But uh, Stephen A. Smith, I, there's nobody that knows more about basketball than Stephen A. Smith. And I respect him for that. And when he comes out and says that Kyrie Irving was throwing his own practices after Steve Nash, that's disrespectful. Okay. I mean, I'm amazed he's even practicing at all, knowing the way he is. But and if still. I was Steve Nash, I wouldn't be happy. I would have got. I would have. Of course. I would have stepped on that court and said, "What are you doing?" Yeah, he would have dueled him out in the one on one and being like, "Oh, yeah, I, uh, I can shoot right over you. You don't play defense." <laughs> I don't know why you think this is funny. I mean, oh my god, think about it. You have Kyrie Irving now individualizing himself away from the team. He's always individualized himself. Always individualized himself. Every every team he's been he's played for. He's always thought he was the best player on that team. Even when he played with LeBron James. Oh yeah. And he thought he was the best so player many, on the team. Yeah, there were so many basketball oh, fans thinking the same and thing. No, it was because they hated LeBron James. Of course. <laughs> it had nothing to do with them thinking that Kyrie Irving was better than LeBron because he wasn't. And nobody and anybody that thought that he was don't know basketball. Because LeBron James is one of the greatest basketball players to ever play this game. I would say that he's right behind Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. And to sit here and say that Kyrie Irving was anywhere close to the player that LeBron James was at the time he played with him on Cleveland is ridiculous. Yeah. Okay? And he was not more valuable to the team either because he could only he could shoot past a ball handle. LeBron did everything else. Rebounding, defense, oh. vision on the court, versatility. Yeah, Kyrie Irving didn't do that. And forget about Kevin Love. He had like that one good finals game and that was it. Let's not get into Kevin Love. I mean, he's still <laughs> Sitting there over there in Cleveland, enjoying himself, but trying to get traded. But until then, no, he didn't. The money. I, he didn't want to get traded this year. He, the Cavaliers well, yeah, they were contending, but yeah. they were contending and they're a good team. Who says they still don't try? Though we'll uh, see. I doubt it. I, I think he stays there and retires over there with the Cleveland Cavaliers. But I think when you look at everything that's going on coming up to the NBA draft, even with the New York Knicks, and there are stories coming out, the Knicks are trying to trade up. Um, they're looking to uh, who, who are they Jaden Ivy, Jaden Ivy, and everybody at Purdue player, mm-hmm. uh, sensational player, had a great season, one of the best players in the nation, uh, very underrated earlier in the college basketball season, and then really picked you know picked up his game and and took Purdue all the way to the the, the Sweet, Sweet Sixteen. 16. <laughs> they lost to the Peacocks, yeah, to the Peacocks. But um, I think when you look at where the Knicks are sitting at eleven, the chances of them moving up to five or four with Sacramento Mm -hmm. is very slim because not only are they going to have to give up a significant amount of draft stock to do that, they might have to give up one of their good young players. And it doesn't make sense right now where the Knicks are positioned to do that unless they believe Ivy is a transformation type of player. He can change this team for the better. And he's that superstar that you can play beside R.J. Barrett for the next 10 years where you can build around if you if you think he's that type of player, then make the move. But I don't know if he's that type of player. I I didn't watch enough of him uh, this college season. Now I watched him obviously in the NCAA tournament. I I, I did get a ch- chance to see him play against the Peacocks, even though he didn't have such a great game. But I I do believe that where the Knicks are sitting at eleven, they could still get a good player. 
Yeah, I think the other scenarios, too, are, that are possible is we've heard the Knicks interested in Benedict Mathurin, the shooting guard out of Arizona, that I don't think they would he would go as early. They might have to trade up to maybe like eight or seven or something like that to draft him, but that I don't think would take like a, a big-name young player. That might take a Myth Bride or a Grimes, something like that, maybe to do that kind of deal, or even even packaging other draft picks, too. I would not trade Grimes. I, I wouldn't either. I'm just There's saying. There's something like, about that kid. I think he, he has ice in his veins. I think he's a great shooter. I think he he could be another Devin Booker. Mm. I really do believe he could be that type of player. Yeah, I'm not We advocate- don't know what he is because we haven't seen enough of him. Right. I'm definitely not advocating to trade him. I'm just saying that might be what it takes in comparison to having to trade Toppin or Barrett or something like that, where you would have to do that with the Kings. Now, Vladdy Divac, he makes a lot of bad trades, so he might be easy to fleece. Who knows? But the, I think the other reason the Kings were brought up was also because Jaden Ivey was kind of skeptical in terms of wanting to play there, too. So they were thinking maybe either Sacramento could pass up on him or try to make a trade for with a team that does want him. And if the Knicks are that team, maybe they would maybe they'd be, get desperate and, and sell short. And maybe that's what the Knicks are hoping for at this point. Because I don't think the Knicks are going to overspend just to trade up. Because I don't I, I, Ivy's my third favorite player in this draft, but I don't think it's like as big of a gap as there have been in previous drafts where you had the, like like RJ Barris draft, you had like the top three, and then there was a big, kind of a drop off after that of what, of what people thought. Now it hasn't turned out that way. There's been other good players, but still, this draft's kind of like evened out. Like there's no consensus guy. Chet Holmgren, everyone thinks is the number one pick. Is he everybody's obvious number one player? I've heard Javari Smith. I've heard Bonchero. Like there's a lot of debate over who it is. And by the way, uh, on the top of the hour, we'll be talking to Cavaliers radio play-by-play broadcaster Tim Alcorn. Uh, We'll get into the NBA draft with him and his Mm -hmm. thoughts on where Cleveland could go in the draft. Obviously, I think they're drafting... Somewhere late in the first round. But they're like 17? 14, 18, I think 14? it is. Okay. I think they're 14, and i definitely like to hear what he thinks about the Knicks and where the Knicks could go at 11, do the Knicks trade up. But uh, this draft is not one of those drafts that really stand out to you, but usually when that happens, you, you find two or three sensational top-end players, uh, superstar players uh, that are going to be league-defining players for the next 12 to 15 years. So I, I'm not saying that this draft isn't one of those dra- – last year's draft wasn't that, that sensational either. Right. I think next year's draft is supposed to be really, really good. Yeah, so, th- this one kind of has it where those guys th- – those top maybe three guys that are thought of could be that type of guy. I'm a little more skeptical of You think home. Ivy's that type of player? I think he could be depending on where he goes. He's my Again, he's my third guy. I'm actually a little more skeptical of Holmgren than a lot of people are because I think he was very streaky throughout the year. And I, I, I while his shot is good for a big man, I don't think it developed the way I think a lot of people were expecting it to. And Orlando, if they pick him number one, we've seen them have a lot of trouble with big men year after year drafting them recently and they take longer to develop than they should. Bonchero is my favorite overall. I think he could definitely be that guy and Jabari Smith on the right team definitely could be in the right system because he's very talented for a big man too. And then there's kind of a second tier that could be like all-star type Maybe borderline stars, but again, I don't, you're right. I don't know if it's, there's any obvious ones like a John Morant or anything like that. I will say this. I'm reading a little bit about Ivy right now, and they say that his strength is his explosiveness, his aggressiveness to the hole, uh, to the hoop. Uh, he's six foot four, 200 pounds. He's definitely going to have to put some size on him to be a great, aggressive NBA power forward. That's the position. Well, six foot four. He's more a three, but some people yeah. say he, because of his strength and his ability, he could play power forward at six four. But and he's a very he, he's very long. His 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 ability uh, of getting to the hoop is 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 very very good, and he's aggressive. So I, I don't know much about this kid. He's also a very good blocker. So. Yes. 
Um, it's interesting where the Knicks could go at, at number 11 if they do plan to trade up. Is it worth giving up a significant bunch of players? Now, they're saying that he was a guard, a shooting guard, a guard or a shooting guard right. in um, in Purdue. but. They're saying, a big team, they're, they're, they're saying that he could probably play the three in mm-hmm. the NBA right. because of his ability. Now, he is small to be a three. So um, and is he that good of a shooter where he could be an NBA shooting guard uh, for the future? And remember, R.J. Barrett was playing two most of the time this year. He was the two guard for yep. the Knicks. So what are they going to do? Are they going to move R.J. to the three? And R.J., what, what is he 6'5", six, 6'6"? Six, six, yeah, six? he's 6'5". Yeah, so he's not uh, aggressively big at, this, at the three position either. So uh, to make a move for Jaden Ivey, you're, you're really taking the same type of player. So I, I'm not saying that. Jaden Ivey's not better than RJ, or I'm not saying RJ's not better than Jaden, but I, I I mean you're you have to be willing to give up a significant boatload of players and picks to move up this high. I mean, eleven to five or eleven to four, that's like seven spots. Mm-hmm. And in the NBA, that's sacred. Yeah. And I also think too, I think he as a shooter, like three point shooter might be better, but I think RJ attacking the hoop is better too. Like I think mid range game probably a little better for RJ because he had again he had some inefficiency shooting three pointers. Not that he's incapable when he was at Duke uh, at the time. Defensively, it's probably about the same too. RJ Barrett evolved into a nice defender this year, but still had a tough time getting it going whenever it was really his strength as a whole. Same kind of thing with Jay and Would I you mean. trade for him? I, it depends on the offer. That's like, not the question. Would you trade for him if it came down to it? If if you had a chance to get Jaden Ivy for three first round draft picks and Quigley? No, I wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do it. I don't. I think that's too pricey. I don't. I maybe two first round picks, but I don't think. Th- I think three is a lot to to move up that far at that point. Because again, I don't think the difference. But between, he could change your organization. He could. For he, the he very much could. I think. I just don't think the difference is that drastic in comparison to him and the next the next tier. Like he probably has the most upside, but I think even so, like the Knicks have a collection of these young players. There's a kid Abai from Kansas that I know they're very interested in too. Could be a point guard, even though he's labeled a shooting guard. He played point guard for them too and then uh like i said mathurin is another one that they're definitely interested in who i think is a better shooter overall than ivy but the knicks are not the only team that could trade up at this right. position and there are other teams that we're hearing that are willing to the hornets i heard um at number 15 are willing by the way uh they lose their coach yeah. and now they're talking about mike d'antoni uh <sighs> taking over which is crazy from one thing from a from an Atkins to a Mike D'Antoni. That doesn't make sense. And there are stories coming out that Atkins just didn't want the job. He he He's interested in other positions and other jobs that could be opening next year. So he decided to stay with Golden State. Why not? Mm-hmm. I mean, he won another ring. I right. mean, so uh, why not stay over there with Steve Kerr and uh, Steph Curry and those bunch of goons and try to win another one. But Honestly, is he that much worse of a coach than Steve Kerr? Yeah. <laughs> Chicago is an, another team that I'm hearing – at number 18 that is willing to trade up because they, they might lose Levine. Right. And uh, he might go to the Lakers. There are stories coming out that there's a very good chance that he might jump ship and, and go somewhere where he has a better chance of winning. Chicago might not be the team that he wants to be uh, playing for for the next four or five years. Um, and also, I'm hearing that the Atlanta Hawks wow. are willing to move up because they're looking for that other superstar player to play beside Trey Young. 
and they have pieces. And they have good some good yeah. good young players like Collins and 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 players of that magnitude that they can actually trade to move up from sixteen to four or three and get the player that they want. Yeah, the the Hawks could go for a variety too if they wanted to because they could use a power forward very easily. And there's a lot of those in this draft with Bonchero and Smith and guys like that. Uh, even Keegan Murray at Iowa, who I, I remember you liked watching in the NCAA tournament, um, as another guy that's kind of a, a modern type forward that could be an interesting fit there too. Yeah, the Hawks are definitely a, a team to watch out for just because of the pieces they could trade. I uh, going back to the Bulls, I also heard that they might be trading their their young point guard Kobe White as yep. well, mm-hmm. that could be included in a potential trade package. I actually for for the. For the Knicks, if they don't get Jalen Brunson, I would not mind that, actually. You have a young point guard to develop. I don't think the Knicks are willing to trade uh, for a point guard of that magnitude. I think the Knicks are looking for... Jalen Brunson is a free agent, yeah. so uh, they don't have to give up much to bring in okay. a Jalen Brunson. I, I, the only reason why I think they would move up to try to get an Ivy is they think that he is a, a game-changing player. If he can change the Knicks uh, from... Uh, a barely a playoff team to a team to be reckoned with for the next four to five or even ten years. They have to make sure that if Jaden Ivey is the guy that they want and they're willing to move up for him from 11 to 4, that he is going to be the it factor where you don't have to go out there and bring in a free agent type of player, that he is the guy that's going to be beside a a guy like – uh, R.J. Barrett for the next 15, 20 years. So they they got to make sure that this is the right move for them because this could set the team back for many, many years, as well as the Pelicans being there at number 18. I mean, sorry, at number eight. where They're sitting right there. They have a, a great team right now, and they played very well in the second half. Ever since they traded for C.J. McCollum, they were a different team. Williamson could be back this year. Yep. Uh, you have, you have a, a very good team as far as depth is concerned off the bench. You have a chance at number eight to maybe move up and really solidify yourself. You're only moving up four mm-hmm. spots. If you get a Jaden Ivy on that team with those type of players to play beside a guy like CJ McCollum, I mean, forget it. I, I think the Pelicans will take a huge leap. Next year. Remember, they were almost a borderline playoff team this year. Yeah, and they hung tough with the Suns in the playoffs this year. They definitely played well. A lot of those close games. And they weren't, again, they weren't expected to be even that close to begin with. And now, if you judge what McCollum... I don't even look at that as a playoff game for them. because Oh, it was a series. It was a series. It was a series, but they they didn't, they were, they made the playoffs. But I, I, I don't look, when I look at a team getting... You know, and they did win. I think they won one game. They won right? two games. They won two games. Yeah. I thought they won one game, but mm-hmm. uh, they played well in the first two games. I think against the Suns, and then they completely fell apart. Yeah. And and maybe because I guess Chris Paul finally woke up or something right. like that. But yeah, and again, Booker, Booker got hurt. And I, I, I and a lot of that had to do with so, CJ yeah. McCollum and what he did in the second half of the season when he got traded there. So uh, I, I think the Pelicans are in a, a very good position to get themselves another good player on this team where it can change the factor of where they could go in the future. So, and with Williamson, I know everybody doesn't like Williamson. He's overweight. He's this, he's that. He's a special player. And when he is on that lineup, he can change the factor of a game. And you could tell, too, with the Pelicans, with the way there a lot of their young rookies played in the playoffs and also towards the end of that season, Zion is somebody that they don't even have to rush if they have to worry about his injury issues. Now, I think he's fine now. I think he'll be ready for the he'll season. He'll be ready for the season. I think he'll be ready for the season, too. too. But, again, you always have to run the risk of re-injury with somebody like that, too. And he says he wants to be there, even mm-hmm. though I don't believe that. I mean, it's I, I wouldn't have believed that 
like two months ago either, but I think they do have a good culture there that I think he's kind of changing his mind now. And the other thing too, is the money too, because Pelicans are mostly a young team outside of, outside of Valanchunas, who has, uh, I think a max contract and McCollum who obviously has a max contract. They don't have a lot of money put into those players too. So you wonder if Zion maybe thinks he can get the money out of them. Maybe he gets the money and then he gets traded. It's possible. Yep. I could see that. I just think, yeah, you're definitely right, though, with the circumstances of them trading up, though, too, because of all the rookies that played well for them last year that were, like, second-round picks. Mm-hmm. If they want to trade up from an eight to top three to get to get a, a Jabari Smith or something like that, a Bonchero, like, yeah, they could definitely do that kind of thing. Ivy would be probably somebody that could be a two in that uh, on that team because Brandon Ingram is a very good three as well. And then they could even have him play a little point guard, too, because he do, did do some ball handling at Purdue and let McCollum play the two as well. So they would have a lot of options if they were to make that kind of thing work. Uh, Snuck says, breaking news. Kyrie Irving in negotiations with Hartford CT. He found to found and the star for the Fighting Kyries, the next there NBA we franchise. Well, there he did say he, he did say he wanted to coach the Nets too, so wouldn't be surprising. Uh, don't worry. Maybe he'll so- buy a team with uh, you know LeBron James yeah. in Vegas. Uh-huh. I mean, after they're done retire, obviously both of them retire. They could right. both buy a team together over there for the new Vegas team that could be there in the next five to six years. So good job. I, I think it'll happen. You know why? Because Adam, uh, you know who I'm talking about, mm-hmm. Adam, a.k.a. commissioner over there, uh, who seems to let LeBron run the organization and run everything going on in the NBA. Well, obviously, it's not easy to get an NBA team and get approved for an NBA team, but Mr. Adam over there, and I say Adam because I'm not going to give you his last name because everybody knows who I'm talking about, um, who I thought was the best commissioner in professional sports until uh, we saw the real thought of where the NBA is going, and that's LeBron James and everywhere else. Um, he's become one of the worst and puppets of of commissioners in professional sports. He still might be the best at this point, but it's just sad. That I, he think might think, Batman, you think I think Gary Bettman is now. I think I know you were complaining about him with the Islander stuff, so yes. I, was, I wasn't sure. But he, that, that's because I'm an Islander fan. But Gary Bettman, who it's crazy to say because he's been booed and <laughs> and hated by NBA NHL fans. I think Gary Bettman has been the best commissioner in professional sports in the last four or five years. We'll actually see if they actually use the NHL's improved salary to actually give some more money to their teams, which is going to help pay their players more, but that's a whole other story. Uh, Snuck says, don't worry, Sacramento will screw it up. Go Kings. Um... Bonchero is the real deal. He would look good and great in silver and purple. Jabari Smith is a no-brainer at number one, Jeff says. Uh, Snug says Jabari Smith is long and has a nice shooting touch. I have a perfect name for him, the Adam Bomb. That's what we'll call him. Ooh, all right. The Adam Bomb as the commissioner, because that's what he is. He is a bomb of a commissioner, because he has bombed everything. Uh, now, now, the TV deals that he's gotten... And he's received from, you know, so many different endorsers and, and advertisements. I, I think the guy is a, a smart man. But, again, if you have an organ, you have a multi-billion dollar organization like the NBA with with all these great players. And, and, and by the way, NBA players are the biggest social, me- social media oh, yeah. junkies for fans because they fought all the – all the NBA players are followed by so many fans. I mean, LeBron James has like 60 million people following him. Carmelo Anthony has like 10 million. I mean, these guys have so many followers. They have, they have more followers than baseball players, NHL players, even football players. Mm-hmm. It's, it's crazy how the NBA works. They're, they're, yeah. they, they're, the fans love them. Yeah, think about even the international superstars, too. Look at the following 
the Joker, for example, has in Serbia, Luka Doncic in Slovenia. Like, that adds to it, too. I, I mean, I, I sit here, I follow some NBA players because I want to see what they're going to post up. I follow Kevin Durant, and I'll tell you why I follow Kevin Durant, because I don't know what he's going to do or say, <laughs> you know, every single day. And Kyrie Irving, I, I, I can't follow him because Kyrie Irving is just that stupid. I, I can't listen to a person that has no quality of a brain in his head, okay? I, how does a guy that goes to Duke, one of the... One of the best schools, one of the one of the best collegiate schools in the world, in the mm-hmm. country. Right. How does he get into a school like that? And he sounds so stupid. Okay, I how many podcasts that I've heard Kyrie Irving go on and say some of the dumbest things that have come out of a professional athlete's brain or mouth? I mean, seriously, it just. It's horrible. It, it, that's why I can't sit here today and say NBA players are the smartest ones. But <laughs> <laughs> I think I had to unfollow Kyrie I mean, Irving Steph Curry, after the last thing he Steph said. Steph Curry doesn't believe that we actually been on the moon before. I mean, <laughs> maybe that's why he went to maybe, Davidson. Maybe, maybe uh, NASA needs to go get Steph Curry a sponsorship with this last championship and then uh, take him to space. Uh, maybe well, all these guys. I mean, you have. Uh, Elon Musk going out of space. Maybe right. the next person he brings out to out of space, space, maybe he should take Kyrie Irving and Steph Curry as a duo. I mean, seriously, both guys think that the one guy thinks the earth is flat. The other one thinks that we've never been on the moon. So why don't you just take them? And so, show them what so, it's like. So here's what you do in that case. You land. You if you're Elon Musk, you bring Steph Curry and Kyrie Irving along. Uh, you, you give. You go right to the edge of the satellite to show that Kyrie Irving that the Earth is round. And then you have Steph Curry just land on the moon and uh, shoot a shoot a basketball. See how good he is anti gravity. By the way, at ten o'clock we'll be talking to Cavaliers radio play by play broadcaster Tim Alcorn. He'll be joining us. He hasn't been on the show for a while. Uh, I know he was excited to come back with us, and, and we're very happy to have him on. Uh, we'll have a little bit of fun with him, play a couple of games with him, and then go into the Cavaliers draft thought and, and where he sees the NBA in the next couple of years, especially the New York Knicks. So what is he saying over here? What uh, is Jeff saying over here? Kyrie is smarter than any Cowboys fan. Well, how do we know that? I mean, How do we know Kyrie Irving's not a Cowboys fan? <laughs> how do we know that Zeke Elliott and uh, him are not buddies? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, both of them seem to get themselves into trouble on and off the field and court. So... I mean, both of them are just silly. I mean, <laughs> success. Curry is crazy like a fox. Zion needs to sign as a defensive end with the Saints. Dude would have, dude would have twelve oh, sacks God. next year. Uh, Jeff says Williamson is only special at the Panda Express buffet. Maybe that's Snuck true. says the Knicks need Rajon Rondo. He's the missing piece in New York. Nope. Uh, there are other teams other than the Knicks not on this show. Jeff says. Uh, Snuck says Kyrie and the Knicks are a match made in heaven. I hope they come together. Yes, I'm sure you do, Snuck. I, I do think that where the NBA is going. And, and the first hour was going to be about the NBA, and then we'll get into, uh, obviously, more NBA stuff because this was going to be more of an NBA show tonight. Um, and obviously on Thursday we're going to get into a lot of football and, and some baseball. We have uh, also an ex-MLB ex- player joining us at 1030. We'll be talking to former Tigers and White Sox relief pitcher Bruce Rendon. He'll be joining us with his wife. Um, helping, uh, you know, his English. And so we're very happy for Bruce to even join us. Uh, we know that he's a very busy guy. Uh, he has a couple of organizations and some of the things that he is doing on and off the field now mm-hmm. as a retired player. 
Uh, we're definitely interested to see what he's been doing since his retirement. But uh, Also uh, playing in the same Mexican league that uh, our guest on our show, Bruce Maxwell. Is he? Two is he ago. Yep, same Mexican league, yep. So Different he, team. But yeah, yeah, well, he's not going to be he, – he retired from the major leagues. Right, so. yeah. Yeah, he's been retired out of the majors for the last four years, and he's been playing in Mexico since then. Good Who knows? Fam. Maybe he pitched to Bruce Maxwell. We'll see. <laughs> It'll be interesting to, to get into conversation with him. But um, as far as the Donovan Mitchell situation – if the Knicks or anybody has a chance for Donovan Mitchell, it won't be this week. I don't see Donovan Mitchell moving until later in the summer. I think after the draft, Utah deciding on what they're going to be doing moving forward with Rudy Gobert because there are stories coming out that they're either going to keep one or the other or they might move both of them. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know what Utah is planning to do. So the chances of Donovan Mitchell being traded to the Knicks or any other team uh, this week it doesn't make sense, okay? Because I also hear, uh, heard now recently that Chicago might be interested in Donovan Mitchell. Hmm. So uh, there are quite a other, few other teams that might be interested in making a move for him. Uh, so it, it's not the Knicks. It's not just the Knicks, the Hawks, and, right. and uh, Miami, yeah. Miami that are interested in him if, if, if he becomes available. And, and also – you have to understand that Danny Ainge is there and Dwayne Wade is there. And what does that tell you? Danny Ainge hates the Knicks. He doesn't like the Knicks. Why would Danny Ainge help the Knicks out in trading Donovan Mitchell there? Does that make sense? No. And Dwayne Wade is not a Knicks fan either. He comes from Miami, retired as a Miami Heat player. He does love Pat Riley. And by the way, Danny Ainge and Pat Riley are very close friends. Mm. It would make more sense to trade Donovan Mitchell to Miami. So you think it's like a Derek Jeter with Stanton thing could yeah. happen with Donovan Mitchell? And... I don't think the Knicks are going to get Donovan Mitchell just because those two, for less. those two two coaches or whatever, two ownership people. Well, obviously, Danny Ainge is, is running the team or he's yeah. the president. And, yes. and, and Dwayne Wade's one of the partial owners. Right. I don't see them saying, you know what, I'd rather trade you to the Knicks than Miami. I, I don't see that happening. Yeah, Danny Ainge is also really stubborn, too. So I can't, I can't imagine him just making a trade that quickly just because the offseason is going and just because the draft is now. Like, I, I think Jeff defended him, but I think there were a lot of other Celtics fans that really hated how stubborn he was in trades, too. And he wanted to either fleece a team or not make the trade at all with a lot of the young players that they had all that time where they could have traded for a big point guard. They could have traded for a big, 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 big man before Robert Williams really got good the last two years. But people were saying Danny Ainge was that kind of thing. And you wonder if that effect could happen carried over to the Utah Jazz, who themselves have been pretty uh, stingy in terms of them making trades too, but they haven't really had to do it with a superstar yet, like Donovan Mitchell. Uh, Stuck says D. Mitch is Kyrie Jr. All the same drama, not as good dribbling skills. You, you might, first of all, Donovan Mitchell's a better all-around player than Kyrie Irving, and, and he's younger. Right. So if I was a Nick and I was running the New York Knicks organization, I'm, I'm wanting Donovan Mitchell over Kyrie Irving. And, and, and also, Donovan Mitchell, as much as he has been interesting on and off the court, he hasn't said anything stupid. Right. Okay. He, he hasn't come out and said that the earth is flat. He hasn't <laughs> said uh, that the, he hasn't said anything stupid, okay? 
but he he has been a problem for the Utah Jazz the last two years, maybe because of Rudy Gobert uh, not getting along with Rudy, and, and right. maybe they, they just don't like each other. Now, if they decide to trade Rudy and they want to build their team around Donovan, I think Donovan won't mind staying over there with the Utah Jazz. So, And Donovan is the better player than Rudy yes. Gobert. He is the better player. So I don't know if Utah will be willing to part ways with their best player. The other thing, too, it might be tougher than people think in order to trade Gobert, too, just because he's just, like, too traditional of a big man. As good as he is at what he is, he's a great defensive player inside. But, like, the league is going away from the pure centers, obviously, and now going more towards the power forwards that could do a lot of different things, the small forwards playing the wings that could do a lot of different things, too. And that might hurt his value as a whole, unless the team is just so small where they really need that big man. But... Beyond that, like the market's going to diminish because of that too, and then you add the the drama that those two had beside of it. It might be hard to trade Gobert at first, and as a result, stall everything. Honestly, I think Rudy Gobert will probably be easier to trade, and I'm going to tell you why. And 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 the reason why is there are more teams right now interested in Rudy because he's less uh, less of a factor of giving away more pieces. Okay. To me, if you trade for Donovan Mitchell, you're going to have to give up a significant amount for Donovan Mitchell. Rudy Gobert, yes, he's a defensive player of the year, back-to-back years, not last year, but um, obviously we know who won. But uh, the last few years, he was the best defensive player in the NBA. He doesn't have much of an offensive game, so he's limited to his game. So I think Rudy Gobert will be easier to trade because, or uh, obviously trade for because you're not going to have to give up as many pieces to get him. So it makes a lot of sense why they would probably move Rudy Gobert instead of moving Donovan Mitchell because even though they they get more for Donovan, I don't know if teams will be willing to give up what they're they're going to be asking for. Carl says Bulls want to deal number one and White to move up that they hate their they hate their spot at eighteen. Yeah, that's what we were saying. They kind of want that other wing player if they do end up losing Zach Levine. There, there's a lot of them in this draft. I'm not. I don't know if they'll move up all the way to the top ten, but definitely maybe something in the eleven and thirteen range is a possibility where they are right now. They're gonna have to give up a lot if they want to move up into the top ten and keep going with that. <laughs> yes, Snug Marcus Smart did win Defensive Player of the Year. We, I didn't have to mention his name. You had to. <laughs> Listen, I. I I don't want to get what into is it. What is okay? this, Harry Potter? And <laughs> you can't mention Lord Voldemort? No. <laughs> Marcus Smart is, the, is that version of it now? Voldemort? That's what yes. he is. Marcus uh. Smart is that now. <laughs> are they committed to Levine? He says they're committed to Levine. That's what Chicago, the Bulls are committed to. I don't know. I don't know if he's committed to the Chicago Bulls. Now, I would love to see Levine stay there because I think Levine fits over there in Chicago. Um... I, I just f- falling the way they did in the second half of the season was horrible to right. watch. I mean, they were the best, one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference all first half, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, the second half, teams figured them out. I don't want to hear about Alonzo Ball getting hurt because Alonzo <laughs> Ball, he's a decent player, but he right. honestly he doesn't change you know the wheel on what that team was. Okay, I, honestly, but. I think they need to find more depth, Chicago. If they decide to keep Levine and, and, and move forward with the team that they have, I love Donovan as the coach. I, I think he's a great coach. He's from New York. He's from Long Island. Uh, I root Billy Donovan on. I, I remember when he won those two NCAA, NCAA tournament championships with the Florida Gators. I remember that. I, I, I know he's, he's, like I said, he's a Long Island native, So, but I, I don't know if that team is is ready for big time. And this year, even though I believe they were the surprise all season long, 
after doing what they did in the second half, I just I don't know if it's it's, it's a team. If I was Levine, I would want to sign with because I don't know if they're going to win. They're not the Chicago Bulls of the 80s and the 90s. No. They don't have a player like that where you put Levine with a Michael Jordan and you put Levine with uh, even a Scottie Pippen where you have a chance to win. Yeah, not only that, they are all, kind of all guard-oriented all at once, too. They need other things. I know Vucevic's a nice veteran big man. but He yeah. actually played very yes, well this year. Uh-huh. But they don't, again, they don't have a lot of size beyond that either. And if they lose Levine, maybe they compensate the money somewhere else and try to bring in, bring in a big guy, a power forward. They've or, got pieces to trade. Uh-huh. So I, I think I could see Chicago moving up and trading and, and moving to two or three or maybe trading with Sacramento and getting a Jaden Ivey. I, I think that would make a lot of sense. Hmm. I mean, they've got more pieces than the Knicks. They have more pieces than the Hornets or or any of those other teams because they 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 have an overstock of young players on that team. So, and, and they do have draft stock. So I don't know. I I, I like like I said. I I, I want to see Chicago compete. I like to see Chicago uh, add some players in the off season and maybe bring back Levine, where this team could be somewhat a competitive. Uh, you know, a competitive team in the second half of the season, something that they weren't in the first half, yeah. that they were in the first half. So I, they were I'm tied just, for the number one seed at the All Star break. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah. They had two of the best players in the league, two team, two players that almost were starters in the All Star game. Mm-hmm. I mean, remember when everyone was saying DeMar DeRozan, Dark Horse MVP? Yeah, he, so. was the, <laughs> he was a top three MVP candidate. So was Kevin Durant before uh-huh, he got hurt. Right. He was, people thought he was a predominant MVP. And then everybody's trying to say that Jason Tatum's better than him. Oh, it's yeah. a joke. Oh, my God. You should see all the people saying Tatum is better than Luka Doncic. So. Oh, oh please, God. Please. Uh, uh, listen, I love Jason Tatum. He's a Duke Blue Devil. Duke Blue Devil for life. I root him on. I hate the Celtics. Okay? But I still root him on. And to sit here today and anybody thinks that Jason Tatum is anywhere close to the player Kevin Durant is, even now, doesn't know basketball, okay? Go look at the numbers. I know you guys are going to say numbers don't mean anything. Yes, they do. If you look at Kevin Durant, I think he played 50-some-odd games this year. Yeah, 56. (laughs) 56 games this year. He beat Tatum in every single offensive statistic you can name. He even had more blocks than Tatum. Okay, and Kevin Durant is even not—he's not even a defensive player. Okay, he plays on a team that doesn't play defense. <laughs> so to sit here and say that Jason Tatum's anywhere close to the player that Kevin Durant—now he could be. Now Kevin Durant's getting older; he's going to be thirty-four this year. I, I think Kevin Durant has another one or two years left that that could be really good years. I think Kevin Durant will probably die down. He's not LeBron James. He's not built like an ox. Right. He's not built like a like a, um, a King Kong type of body uh, or a gorilla type of body. I mean, that man can still jump, still do the things that he does at the age of 30. It's remarkable watching LeBron James play. But Kevin Durant is a shooter, and he's also coming back from two really bad injuries. So especially the Achilles, where, you know, it, it definitely affects your jumping ability. So... He had a great season this year. I thought if he played the full season, he would have been the MVP. Uh, shout out to Jokic for um, doing what he did 
uh, this year for a second year in a row. It's it's a it's amazing feat, especially a team that had no Porter Porter this year, no Murray this year. And I think if the Nuggets had those two players, watch out. I think they could have made a huge noise in the playoffs. Really would have. Anyways, when we come back, we'll be talking to Cavaliers Radio play-by-play broadcaster Tim Alcorn here. On the Sports Loudmouths. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. Six three one six seven two thirty one zero eight is the number. This is the Sports Loudmouths. As everybody knows, you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradionetwork. Take a look at our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, well, well. Well, I will say this. We haven't spoken to this guy in just, uh, well, we haven't spoken to this guy in a while. But uh, having him on again, we're very excited we are now talking to Cavaliers radio play-by-play broadcaster Tim Alcorn. Tim, what's going on, bud? Hey, it's great to be back with you guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely, man. We've been following everything that's going on with you since you've been on the show. Uh, we see that you're doing big things, man, and, and we really appreciate you joining us. No, no problem. Glad to do it. Uh, as you said, NBA draft right around the corner, and for the Cavaliers, uh, it's a little bit of uncharted territory from where they've been the past couple of years, where they're up in the top five, last year top three. This year sitting at number 14, but in the end, that's a good sign. That means they made some remarkable progress last year, which of course they did. The Cleveland Cavaliers. Obviously, the NBA draft is a day and a half away. Uh, I would say less than 48 hours. Where do you see the Cavaliers going right now at number 14? Well, I don't think I can give you a specific player because it all depends on what 13 other teams ahead of you do. And this draft seems to have a lot of fluidity. And as I mentioned, when we first got started, to me, that's a great sign for the Cavaliers. Last year, they were sitting at three. Everybody seemed to know that the top three were going to be Cunningham, Green, and Mobley, with Cade pretty much being that top pick or at least the consensus top pick, and then the Cavs were either going to get Green or Mobley, depending upon what Houston did. So this year, there's so much more fluidity insofar as what the Cavs are going to have options to do at that number 14 spot. Uh, I do think they're going to look for somebody that can contribute right away, because to go from 22 wins to 44 wins last year shows the huge leap that they took. And this is a ball club that's on the cusp of being a playoff team. In fact, they think they should have been a playoff team rather than a play-in team last year. They just got decimated by injuries, especially down the stretch. So uh, the the cornerstone pieces are in place. All-stars Jared Allen, Darius Garland, Rookie of the Year runner-up in Evan Mobley. So they're not looking for that blue-chip guy that they're going to build around. They've got those pieces. So they're going to look for somebody that can come in and contribute uh, right away as far as just adding another piece uh, to what they've already assembled. So Evan Mobley, again, like you were saying, rookie of the year runner-up, a lot of people thought he should have won. What were what impressed you the most about oh, his game watching him this year? I'll tell you what. Uh, we all thought he was going to be pretty special coming out of USC, but he was even above and beyond what everybody anticipated. As Cavs coach J.B. Bickerstaff said throughout the year, guys, he impacted winning. 
in so many different ways. And, and when you look at a team that went from, as I alluded to earlier, 22 to 44 wins, uh, there's a lot of reasons why. But certainly Evan Mobley uh, is at the top of that list. When he had to score, and he always seemed to know the moment when he had to score, he was able to do that, get a big rebound, block shots. Uh, he would step out and knock down jumpers, even though he was pretty much, uh, you know, in that front line as far as an interior guy. But uh, Evan Mobley did everything well, and the sky's the limit for this kid. In fact, I mentioned on a on an interview the other day, maybe the sky is an understatement. The stratosphere <laughs> is the limit for this kid because he has unlimited potential. I'm biased. Nothing against Scotty Barnes. I watched Scotty Barnes play. He was a heck of a player for Toronto, but I thought Evan should have won it uh, as far as the Rookie of the Year award is concerned, but he will be a perennial all-star. So when you put him with Jared Allen, with Darius Garland, uh, the nucleus of this team is going to be together for a long, long time. He was absolutely robbed. I, I've been saying that all season. He was the Rookie of the Year, and as good as Barnes is, was this year, I think he was even better. He, he's going to be a star in this league. I love his size. I love his ability. He can do everything. Not only is he a good offensive player, he can pass, he can play defense, he can block. He's a sensational player. He needs to put on some meat, but I think as he gets older and he fills into his body, he's going to be sensational. We are talking. Oh, to, totally agree. Yep. Yep. We are talking to Cavaliers radio play-by-play broadcaster Tim Alcorn. Love him. Uh, as we we had some fun with him last time, we will have some fun before this interview is over. Kevin Love, obviously a guy that uh, over the last couple of years, some people said that wanted to be traded. This year, he taking a back seat as a leader of this team. Really wanted to be a part of this team and and. And this rejuvenated young offensive team that we saw this year early in the season and really transitioned to almost a playoff team. What do you see Kevin Love doing? What, what do you see the Cavaliers doing in the offseason? Do they move Kevin Love? Does Kevin Love stay there? Where does he go for his future? Well, to me, Kevin Love stays here. Uh, I think his leadership role last year was extraordinary. To buy into that role, uh, as J.B. Bickerstaff sat down with him before the season and said, listen, uh, we acquired Lowry Marketing, we've got Jared Allen, we've got this kid in Evan Mobley who we think is going to be very, very special, and we think we can further your career and make you a better basketball player in the sense of helping this basketball team by coming off the bench. And for Kevin to accept that, and then excel in that role. I, I think it showed amazing leadership on his part. And so uh, he really thrived in that role. Guys, the only games that he missed last year were due to COVID. Mm. Uh, he did not have an injury. He was fresh. He was knocking down shots. And when you take his role along with Ricky Rubio, before he had that devastating injury and then was involved in the Karis LeVert deal, uh, for those two guys to come off the bench and demonstrate to this young nucleus, we're willing to do what it takes to win. Uh, Kevin Love, NBA All-Star multiple times, NBA champion with the 16 Cavaliers. Ricky Rubio, who really had to be convinced to come to the Cavaliers when they acquired him from the T-Wolves. Uh, he probably would have been a starter on most NBA teams. Uh, for those two guys to buy in and accept the role, that showed extraordinary leadership to the young guys to say, if these two guys who have been around a long time and could really have complained and, and moaned about, you know, coming off the bench, what, come on. Uh, instead, 
they accepted it and they excelled in it. So I think Kevin Love uh, really endeared himself to not only the organization, but to the fan base here in Cleveland. Uh, boy, he'd pop off that bench and Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse would come alive. And so uh, I think I think Kevin Love has, has found that role and he certainly flourished in it. So one of the polarizing guys this offseason will be Colin Sexton for the Cavs in order to hang on to him. He's been dealing with a lot of injuries throughout his time. Uh, We had uh, Matt Fontana from ESPN Cleveland on twice, and he was calling Colin Sexton kind of like the Baker Mayfield of the Cavs. He's good at times, but always hurt. So what do you think they'll do with him this offseason? And do you should if you were the Cavs, would you try to hang on to him and make him the starter? The Colin Sexton situation is certainly the biggest issue as far as the Cavaliers are concerned. Listen, I think both sides are very genuine in that they want Colin Sexton to be a Cavalier next year and beyond. I think the Cavaliers are genuine in that feeling, and I think Colin Sexton wants to be a part of this. Keep in mind, he was the very first first first-round draft choice after LeBron left the second time. So he was part of that cornerstone that they were going to build with. So he went through a lot of tough times here in Cleveland. That being said, can they reach that agreement? Can they reach an agreement not only on the dollars? I think Colin Sexton, as he has every right to do, uh, is going to look for top dollar and and he feels this is though, or this is what his worth is. I think on the flip side, you're going to have the Cavaliers saying from a total business standpoint, uh, here's what we think your worth is and, and will they find common ground? Um, do I think he's going to come back? I don't know. I mean, I, I think he might test that market. He's a restricted free agent. And if he gets some huge deal from somebody out there, now it falls in the Cavaliers' lap to say, do we want to match that deal? Because he's a restricted free agent. So um, I don't know how it's going to play out. But I do think it's the number one issue on the table for the Cavaliers. And then everything else, obviously the draft is Thursday, but free agency, trades, and so forth, that'll fall into place once the Colin Sexton scenario is resolved. We are talking to Cavaliers radio play-by-play broadcaster Tim Alcorn. Tim, LeBron James, I mean, there are stories coming out of L.A. that he's not signing that extension until he sees a huge difference in the offseason on on making moves and bringing players in. When everybody knows LeBron James is running that organization, and the only person that can make those moves is him. So if that doesn't happen, could you seeing could you see LeBron James heading back to Cleveland? He still owns his house over there. He still loves Cleveland. It's his home his hometown. This team is built by young superstars. I mean, you have Evan Mobley, you have a guy like Darius Garland, and you have some guys like Karis LeVert and Jared Allen. This is a great young team with great young legs. You put LeBron James there, uh, you're a championship competitive team again in the Eastern Conference. Could you see LeBron James jumping ship and going back to Cleveland? Well, I certainly don't know if that's going to transpire. I said many years ago, long before I got the Cavs job, I, I would just say to friends and colleagues, I think LeBron will finish his career wherever Bronny ends up. Mm -hmm. And of course, lo and behold, at the all-star break uh, here in Cleveland, uh, you know, a few months back, he's talking to a very well-respected reporter, Jason Lloyd from the athletic. And he, in essence said that. Mm -hmm. Um, So how that will play out, you know, we'll see. I don't know what's going to happen in Los Angeles. They've got a mess out there because you've got the the Westbrook contract and 
him and AD and LeBron playing together. That obviously didn't work. Mm -hmm. So they've got to resolve that. But I truly believe, I believed it years ago. And when he said it to Jason Lloyd, I wasn't surprised. If Bronny makes it to the NBA, and there certainly are projections that he will be an NBA player, I think LeBron would love to play his final year or two, whatever that may end up being, with his son. So that's how I view it. You know, whether he comes, whether that's Cleveland, whether that's Dallas, Sacramento, Memphis, who knows? New York? Where Bronny, <laughs> right, wherever, wherever Bronny ends up. And of course, you know, that becomes a, a risk for the for the team that would end up with Bronny because if he isn't a, let's say, top five elite player, yeah. um, do you still take him thinking, well, his dad would come with him, but maybe it's only for a year or two. So we'll see how that all plays out. But I, I've thought that for a long time, that he's going he's gonna to end up where Bronny ends up. So being in that being that situation where all the fans seem to want him back now, and they were a little sour the first time because of the way he left, but everyone has loved him since he came back the second time, and now all these Cavs fans want him back. Would that be an incentive to, one, obviously hang on to Kevin Love because of the connection that they have, maybe even longer than they think, and also maybe even reach on Braun in the draft, even if he isn't like the top five player that we would expect? Well, you've got a lot of fluidity in that question there. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts as far as that is concerned. Um, again, I, I I don't know if I agree with your assessment that the entire Cleveland fan base wants him back. Mm. Uh, there certainly is a huge appreciation for what he did. And, he, you know, he wanted to bring a championship to Cleveland. He did that second time back. You know, LeBron gets us uh, – to the finals four straight years uh, against Golden State. Uh, but, you know, you, you talk to fans in the area, it certainly wasn't as messy and as angry a departure as it was the first time around. But you talk to fans now, and I think they look at this young core and they look at this young group that Kobe Altman and Mike Ganzi and a sensational coaching job by J.B. Bickerstaff mm -hmm. have been able to grow and cultivate and I think there's a sense of, man, let's see what these guys can do. Let's add a couple of more parts. Uh, but but we have those cornerstone pieces. So, again, there's a lot of fluidity there. But I don't think it's a, you know, a huge consensus that, you know, if you were to bring someone like LeBron back, uh, that that would just be the the overwhelming sentiment. I'm not, I'm not sure that's the case. <laughs> Tim, you look at the NBA and how the game has transitioned. These players are making millions and millions of dollars. You have players opening their mouth like Kyrie Irving, uh, throwing himself under the bus on and off the court, uh, saying stupid things. And now you look at some of the young players that are coming into the league that are transitioning the game, making the game better, more fun to watch. When you look at the game and what the game was in the 90s, and you look at the game now uh, where you could barely put a finger on a player, do you like the way the game is transitioning into an offensive three-point game? Or do you think that the game should predominantly move back to what it was in the 80s and 90s where it was more of an aggressive, you know, face-to-face, -face, you know, I'm not your buddy type of team? <laughs> yeah, there were some brawls back yeah. in the 80s and the 90s. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was a man's game yeah. back then. Um, and, and I'm a little bit of an older guy. Yep. I, I know I'm a heck of a lot older than you two. So I used to enjoy those games. Uh, I, it's interesting. You know, I sometimes as I'm calling games, I'm thinking, wow, how many three balls are they going to shoot here? I, I wonder if that'll be tweaked at some point. I, I know the analytics of it. 
um, whether it's doing something with where the line is or how far the line is, um, you're, you're right. Fans love offense, um, but do they love offense to the point where a team shoots 35% from three mm-hmm. rather than 45 to 50% from two? Uh, do they pass up an easy layup to kick it back out only to see a, a three ball clang off the rim? So, um, you know, I, I like the game back in the 80s and 90s. I'm not saying I don't like today's game because uh, I do. I, I love it. But uh, it's a three-ball happy league, yes. and, it, and it really rules the NBA right now. And I think the NBA, to their credit, is always willing to look at different avenues and different ways of improving the game and, and trying to, while well, keep fan interest, make the game a better game. So I'm sure it's something – uh, that they're going to explore. I don't have any any doubt about that. So we're seeing a lot now with a lot of the teams that have won championships. The, a lot of them are building more homegrown and less of the big three superstars teaming up together that we saw. And we saw a lot of them crash and burn like the Lakers and the Nets this year. Do you think that kind of philosophy is going to be faded out of the league completely? Or do you, can you see it making a return where it becomes dominant again? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um I think teams have learned that you can do it organically. You can do it through the draft, through some shrewd free agent signings, that it doesn't necessarily have to be the way Miami did it a few years ago with LeBron and Bosh and Wade. You still need a nucleus. You still need uh, you know, a big two or three to kind of lead the way. Usually it's three. I mean, going back to the 80s and 90s that we just talked about, you know, you talk about the Celtics. Bert McHale Parrish. Mm-hmm. I mean, those names just kind of roll off the tongue. You talk about the Lakers. Magic Kareem Worthy. Uh, Jordan certainly would have been, the you know, not an example of that, but he was just this. Even the Knicks in the 70s, you had Reed, right. Reed the Busher, and uh, Walt Frazier. Yeah, so. exactly. So, I mean, that the, the NBA is a stars league, but um, I do think that general managers and player personnel people are realizing uh, you can build, and I think the Cavs are a good example of that. You can build from within. It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, just open up the checkbook and, and go make it fantasy league basketball where you go out and just sign guys and, and try to build those teams through free agency. Uh, and I think L.A. is a, a great example of how that can go horribly wrong uh, because, man, they were just a dysfunctional mess out there this season. As everybody knows, we are talking to Cavaliers radio play-by-play broadcaster Tim Alcorn. Tim, I, I before we let you go, I you know I know you're a music fan. Is there a particular <laughs> uh, artist that you like to listen to? Wow, are you talking current? Are you talking whatever? Older? I mean, like I said, yeah. I'm an older guy. Well, so. I, I like old music too. I'm a DJ. I like I like music. Yeah. But uh, oh, I did hundreds and hundreds I, of I weddings and parties. Yeah, yeah I, I did see, all that, I couldn't so. see you listening to Little Wayne. Okay. Or, yeah. Or Little Baby. Absolutely. You listen to them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> like I said, I'm, I'm in the older demos, so I'm a, a classic rock guy. I mean, I'm a Beatles fanatic. I mm. just love mm. the Beatles, the Stones. You know, that type of classic rock. But I, I certainly listen to the newer stuff and, and DJ and all those weddings that I did. I, I had to learn all I'm a you know, I'm a huge Bruno Mars fan. I, I really think talent, oh yeah, I think the talent level of that guy is just off. What's the your chart. favorite song by Bruno Mars? Oh wow. I mean I, the first song that comes to your mind is Uptown Funk, but I don't necessarily I think he I think he kind of 
did some things that the, the, the remember the time yes. with the bird and all that. Mm-hmm. I can hear some of the time in Bruno's song, but wow, you got me thinking. I, there's a lot of stuff that, of his that I really enjoy. I, I just I think Bruno's almost a throwback. Oh, absolutely. Well, also I, th- I think his the way he likes to bring back the '80s and his, yes. his is more like '80s type of music. And uh, even his new album that came out, I, I forget what the album's called, but. Uh, uh, it was very '80s like, so I, I think his, you know, his personality brings out brings back the kind of music that we we all love, the '80s '90s type of music, the freestyle type of music that uh, I've always followed and, and enjoyed listening. DKA and you know Lisa Lisa. You know, there you so, go. So those are the type. But you know, I ask you that question because uh, you know, I, I know I'm not going to ask you to sing on the show. I don't want to throw you under the bus. <laughs> I won't do that, you know, even though I'm very good at doing that uh, to other people we've had. We had other guests on the show, and I, I, I've kind of talked them into actually singing a song. I'm going to ask you three questions about your favorite artist, okay? Mm-hmm. And I want you to give me a straight answer about what you think those questions, the answers to those questions. Are you ready? Uh, okay. I think I'm wading into some dangerous water here, but okay, go ahead. Okay, so you, you said you're a Beatles fan, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right, so uh, obviously there were four Beatles, Ringo, George, um, John, and Paul. Yes. Do you remember the first, the, the, the other Beatle, before they threw him out of the group? Well, there was actually a Beatle that passed. There was Stuart Sutcliffe. Yes. But and Stuart were... Sutcliffe passed, yes. and then Pete Best was Pete... the drummer yes. that was shown the door. Yes, uh, there you go. There you go. And, you were and right. Ringo, and Ringo came on board. All right, so yes. you know your Beatles. You know your Beatles. I do know my Beatles. I, I, yes. I got you over there. All right. Bruno Mars. Bruno Mars was supposed to be a part of a group before he went single. Do you know what group that was? No, I don't. I have to confess, I don't. Well, um, Sync was actually going to come back after Justin Timberlake left and Bruno Mars was a guy that they brought in for auditions before they decided to not bring him in as the lead singer of the group. I did not know that. I'm going to throw you a curveball there. Okay, and last question. Bruno Mars, he's been arrested three times in the last past three years. Do you know what he was arrested for? I don't. <laughs> Do I want to know what he was <laughs> <laughs> do I want to know? Do do your listeners I, and viewers want to know? I don't think you. Well, it wasn't anything like uh, you know. It was you know obviously confiscating drugs across the border. So there you go. So <laughs> I listen. I'm just trying to see if you know you guys. I, don't know. <laughs> I probably could have guessed at that and, and yeah. been correct. Well, so. Bruno, I, I have a lot of respect for Bruno Mars too because I actually met Bruno Mars at uh, an event a couple of years ago. I'm a DJ. And I've, I've, I've done a lot of different entertaining events throughout the country and throughout, you know, New York State. So uh, Bruno Mars was a very courteous and very nice guy when I met him. So I have nothing but my utmost respect for him. So uh, but uh, we really Just an incredible talent. Oh, absolutely. Incredible talent. Absolutely. Him and Justin, believe it or not. I'm a Justin Timberlake fan. Justin Timberlake, Justin Bieber, too, who right now is dealing with an, enough stuff. He, he's yes. a talented artist, too, who plays the guitar, plays the drums, plays the piano. I mean, guys like that, it's hard to find You know that kind of talent that could do all those unbelievable things. So, But we really 
We really appreciate you joining us. We're definitely going to get you on a lot sooner than later. I can't believe we waited this long to get you on. We we not only respect you as an, a play-by-play analyst and, and a radio show uh, play-by-play guy, but we we respect who you are and what you've grown into as you know as a leader of what the industry is transitioning into. Into so we really appreciate everything that you've done, not only coming on our show and giving us your time, but everything that you've done in this industry. Oh wow! Well, I appreciate that very much. I appreciate the compliment, and uh, you know, I love what I do. I have, I have a passion for it. Uh, I was honored last week that the Cleveland Guardians actually had me on doing some uh, baseball. Congratulations. So, That's yeah, awesome. that was, that was a lot of fun. So I got to go out on their West coast swing and uh, did three games in Colorado and three games at just the incredible Dodger stadium, which was mm-hmm. a, a real lifelong kind of dream come true for me. So I uh, listen, I love sports broadcasting. So and if there's anything I can ever do to help you guys or anybody, I'm going to do it. Uh, I've, I've been there, done that. And, uh, I know what it's like. So as they say, pay it forward. So if you guys ever need a hand with anything, I'll be more than glad I'll to hold you it. up on that offer, man. So we'll, we'll definitely right. be in touch. We really respect you. And uh, thank you for everything, you know, even giving us the time. But uh, you, we, we love you. We have so many different broadcasters on the show. And when Speedy told me that we, we were going to get you back on, I was like, we had a lot of fun the last time mm-hmm. he was on. So we really appreciate it. We'll, we'll, you'll definitely hear from me soon. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. I love being on your show. So anytime you want to have me, uh, send the invite, and I'll make sure to uh, make it happen. Thank you, Tim. Mm -hmm. All right. Sounds good. We were just talking to Cavaliers radio show, a radio play-by-play broadcaster, and Tim uh, Tim Alcorn. Fantastic guy. Great guy. Oh, yeah. Um, And uh, special guy in the industry. Mm Mm-hmm. He really is. I, I have nothing but my utmost respect for him. And he does so such good work, too. I mean, listening to him. And I remember when he came on the show, and then over the last couple of years, I, I'll pop on the play-by-play on the radio uh, with the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm like, oh, that guy is awesome. You know, his personality. I didn't even know he was a DJ. So, mm-hmm. There you go. You got your you know, connections now. <laughs> there you go. So Tim Alcorn. Great guy. There you go. If you're ever in Cleveland, you could do a dual DJ with him. Uh, he hasn't done that in a while, but, uh, you know, I threw him you a curveball. You get it back. I threw him a curveball. Anyways, uh, when we come back, we'll be talking to former Tigers White Sox relief pitcher Bruce Rondone here on the Sports Limeouts. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. Jump, jump, make daddy make ya. Jump, jump, daddy Mackie make ya. Jump, jump, crisscross will make ya. Jump, jump, uh-huh, uh-huh. There you go, Brucey. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. 631, yes. 672-3108 is the number. Check out the Sports Loudmouths every Tuesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m. As always, go to our website at www worldwidesportsradio.com download our app on iOS WWSRN or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network well 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 I'd like to thank Tim Elkhorn for joining us he's sensational and now ladies and gentlemen we have an ex MLB player joining us as we are now talking to former Tigers and White Sox relief pitcher Bruce Rondone what's going on Bruce how you doing we're good, man. I mean, we're not dancing, and we're not as good as you, man. I mean, obviously, but uh, we're happy to have you on. I know you're you've been pretty pretty busy in the Mexican leagues, uh, and we have, we've had a couple of uh, different guys on our show over the last couple of weeks uh, that 
actually play in the same league as you. But uh, how are you doing? How are you feeling ever since, uh, you know, your last year years in uh, the major leagues? ¿Cómo te sientes? ¿Cómo has estado en tus últimos años en la Grande Liga? Mira, de verdad, me siento mucho mejor porque estos últimos años que no he estado en Grandes Ligas, he aprendido muchas cosas como picheo secundario, lo he mejorado, he estado 100% más seguro de mis picheos secundarios y me ayudan un poco más a mi recta. Look, I have been feeling much, much better this year that I have been out of the MLB. I have been learning more about my secondary on pitches and I feel more secure with them. And ¿cuál fue el final? Que me he sentido mejor con los pitchers que And with... Y le da mejor, mejor ayuda a mi recta. And they help me much, much more on my, um, ¿cómo se dice recta? Fastball. On my fastball. So you actually, when you were in the majors, I found out you had a streak. I don't know if you realize this. It was in 2013, August 8th, of nine consecutive pitches over 100 miles an hour. It, it, what, what did you hear when you, when you found out you got that kind of record? Tú tenías un récord en el 2008 de nueve pichos en 100, por encima de las 100 millas. ¿Cómo te sientes cuando tú escuchas ese récord? Mira, me siento muy, muy bien, muy feliz porque... Son cosas que quedan marcadas en mi carrera y son logros que son muy bonitos para mí. I feel really good because they are achievements that are going to be um, in the history of my career and it makes me feel really, really proud. As everybody knows, we are talking to former Tigers and White Sox relief pitcher Bruce Rondone. Bruce, we, we look at your career and, and playing in the major leagues for almost almost six years, that's, that's pretty damn good because it's not easy to, be, to make it to the majors and to stay there as long as you did. It, it's, it's really special. What was it like for the first time uh, in your, your rookie year in 2013, stepping on a major league field for the first time and looking at the lights and looking at the fans and just, you know, cherishing the moment that you finally made it to the big leagues? How did you feel the first time you came to the Grande Liga? Mira, alegre y nervioso. I eh, was happy and nervous at the same time. Era como una alegría que tenía desde niño y no la podía superar y de verdad los nervios, la alegría, todo eso en un mismo tiempo era, era demasiado bonito. It was like a happiness. It was something that I was looking to achieve since I was a little boy. And oh. to be able to do it, it was like happening with nervous. It was something that I'm able to explain. So your first year in the majors, you actually went to, were part of a loaded Tigers team that went to the ALCS. What were some of those playoff games and big games like? ¿Cómo eran esos grandes, esos juegos en la playoff? ¿Cómo te sentiste? En Grandes Ligas. Uh -huh. No, pues, creo que el béisbol en ese momento, en los playoffs, son como más, con más adrenalina, son, son mucho mejores que, que la regular. The playoff games are more full of adrenaline and are, are much, much better than regular games. So you feel much more like nervous and anxious. Bruce, 2016 was your best season. You were 5-2. and two. Uh, You had a 2.97 ERA. You, you know, when you look at a relief pitcher, those are pretty damn good numbers. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, you had 45 strikeouts that year. 
What was it like having a season like that and, and really taking your game to that next level? Fue tu mejor temporada. ¿Cómo te sientes el haber tenido unos números tan buenos en el 2013? Mira, primero que todo, me sentía muy bien de salud. ¿Sabes? Después que vine de mi tomillón. No, ese 2013 fue antes del tomillón. No, 2014 fue el tomillón. Uh -huh. Él te y... está preguntando 2013. No, que me sentí muy bien. Y fue mi primera temporada en las la grandes ligas. He felt really good. I'm sorry. At the beginning he started, you was asking after his tomillón surgery. So, um, no, I don't. I, I, I understand. Actually, I know. I understand a little bit of Spanish. I. I... <laughs> I don't know how to speak it, but I, I, I understand a little bit of it. So I, I kind of realized that. Yeah, yeah. In 2013, he said he feel really good. It was his first year in Major League. So it was like, it was awesome. He, he feel really, really good. So one hitter that you thought was the toughest to face when you were pitching, who would it be and why? ¿Cuál ha sido el jugador más duro que tú consideras que fue para picharle cuando estaba en Grande Liga y el por qué? David Ortiz. David Ortiz. Mm. En Boston. Base llena, dos ao, dos strikes <laughs> y tres bolas. Para mí fue el bateador más difícil en ese momento y en mi historia. Yeah, for him, his tougher one is David Ortiz. It was in Boston. It was um, two ao. Habían dos ao. Tres bolas um, y dos strikes. Base loaded, three ball and two strikes. It was like. The midpoint, it was tough for him. It's the most tougher for him. As everybody knows, we are talking to former Tigers and White Sox relief pitcher Bruce Rondon. Um, what player did you look up to? Obviously, maybe that you were in the major leagues and you looked up to, or even before you were in the majors. Was there a particular player that you looked up to uh, before or after or even now that you look, look up to as a major ex-major league player? Hay un jugador que tú admirabas antes o estando en la Grande Liga o ahora, que tú admiras. Pues mira, siempre admiraba mucho a Andrés Galarraga, un bateador venezolano, porque no teníamos las capacidades de ver los juegos de béisbol de Grande Liga, pero a él siempre lo nombraban mucho en nuestro país. One of the um, baseball players he admired was Andres Gala, eh, Garra. Andre Galarraga. Galarraga, or whatever. Galarraga. <laughs> um, he was, uh, they wasn't able to see the baseball games in his country at that moment, but it was a player that was always mentioned in Venezuela, so he was always looking forward for him. So you got to play as well with one of the best hitters in our era, too, Miguel Cabrera. What was he like as a teammate? And do you have any particularly good story about him that stands out? ¿Cómo era jugar con Miguel Cabrera y que si tiene alguna buena historia que contar sobre él? Pues mira, de verdad fue lo mejor compartir con uno de los mejores vergolistas que han visto mis ojos y han visto el mundo. Es un pelotero excepcional dentro y afuera del terreno y de verdad... Um, it was really nice to be playing next to um, a great baseball player, not only seen by his eyes, but by the world. And it was a really nice experience be playing next to him. Last question for me. Um, is there a particular thing or something that you would say to a kid that was like you in, in a country, a third world country like yours, where you can give them advice 
on how hard you need to work to get where you were to make it to the major leagues? Is there something that you can give the fans information on what is it like and, and how, how is it like to get where you are, where you, you were in your career? ¿Hay algún consejo a un niño de un tercer mundo, así como el país de donde tú eres, que tú le puedas dar un consejo para llegar a donde tú llegaste? ¿O hay algo que tú le puedas decir a tus fanáticos hasta donde tú llegaste? Pues mira, el consejo que yo le puedo dar a una persona o a un niño, bien dicho, puede ser que, mira, lo primero y principal, lo primero, primero tiene que ser hacerle caso a sus padres. Y después dedicarte al 100% a tu béisbol, a tu básquet, a lo que tú te dediques y entregarte el 100%. Porque sin eso creo que no vas a tener éxito. The first thing, the first that I can um, advise to any kids that are willing to go to the MLB is to first listen to your father and mother. That's the first advice. And the second one is to be 100% into it. Um, you have to give everything. If not, you will never make it. So baseball culture wise, what are some of the big differences? Now you're playing in Mexico and you grew up in Venezuela. What are some of the big differences between those two countries as well as when you played in the United States with the Tigers and with the White Sox? ¿Cuál es la diferencia de jugar en México que como en Venezuela o Estados Unidos? Pues mira, la, tem la temporada de México no, no es tan mala como algunas personas dicen. Es un béisbol muy respetado y, y, y se compite mucho. La diferencia en los Estados Unidos y Venezuela, que juegan demasiado grandes ligas, que están en grandes ligas y, y, y concursan en las temporadas en Venezuela y juegan en, en los Estados Unidos. The difference between um, the baseball here in Mexico and the U.S. It is, the first thing is not that tough as some people think. It's not that bad. Um, it's a very, very competitive um, baseball here. And you're going against a lot of players that have been in the major league and players that play also in Venezuela and also here, and you have to be against them. It's a lot of ma a major league players that have been before in the MLB. Well, Bruce, we really appreciate you joining us. We know you're very, very busy. And, uh, uh, we'll definitely be following you over there in the Mexican leagues. We have a bunch of guys that have been on the show. We had... Uh, Bruce Maxwell. Bruce Maxwell on the show. He's a, he's a nice guy and uh, uh, another guy that's a fan of our show. We, we definitely would love to get you guys on again. And we really appreciate your wife uh, helping us out, understand a little bit of Spanish and giving us a little bit of uh, some help on, on getting to know you. Thank you very much. Gracias, guys. Thank you. Absolutely. We were just talking to Tigers and White Sox relief pitcher, ex-relief pitcher, Bruce Rondon. Very, very nice guy. And uh, his wonderful wife actually mm -hmm. helping us uh, understand him. So uh, it's different. It's different. You know, when, we, when you get into conversations with, with uh, different athletes that obviously are not fluently you know, English and, and having people let us understand a little bit about him in their heritage. It, it's, it's fantastic. And he, nice guy, really, mm, really nice. Guy. Absolutely. Um, and, and somebody that you, all the fans, all the information that he gave, uh, gave you guys to listen to your parents and, and work hard and actually want to play the game. That's something that, you know, you're, you're, you're listening to it from an ex major league player that was there for five years and understands what it takes to get there. It's not that easy. And when you have the opportunity to make it to the big leagues, you work hard and you enjoy what you do and make sure that you put all of your heart into it. 
When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will be getting into some hockey conversation. As the Lightnings take as as the Lightning takes game number three, can the Avalanche come back and take game number four and shut down these Tampa Bay Lightning, a two-time NHL champion in the last two years. When we come back, we'll get into that. We'll get into some Gronkowski information and some of this settlement information on what's going on with Deshaun Watson here on the Sports Limeouts. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Sports Loudmouths. You can call us at 631-672-3108 is the number. You can go to our website at www. WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Bruce Randone, ladies and gentlemen. That's the first time we actually had a, a, a player that speaks uh, fluent uh, Spanish. And uh, we had actually have a, had a translator actually mm-hmm. translate everything to what he was, you know, what he was saying. So, but uh, nice guy. Really, really yes, nice guy. Absolutely. And, um, uh, beautiful, beautiful wife who actually gave us the opportunity to have a conversation with him, which is not easy. No. I, I could tell you that right now. It is not easy to have a conversation in both ways when you, you, you can't understand fluent English. And, and us trying to – I understand a little bit of Spanish, but not fluent Spanish. So mm-hmm. it was – I understood some of the things that he was saying. But the fact that he gave us an opportunity to have a conversation with him, we really appreciate everything. So thank you, Bruce for giving us the time. Um, we got a couple more things to talk about, and we got about an hour left of our show. And uh, I do want to get into the NHL. And And here's the thing. I, I know a lot of people thought that this series was going to be fun to watch, and every single one of these games have been blowouts. It, it hasn't even been close. The first two games for the Avalanche, they blew out. Except the, I guess the game first one, game. Game one, yeah, it was kind the of a comeback. Game one was a, yeah. it was a comeback. It went to overtime, but... I it really it really was a blowout all through the game until Tampa came back and then it, there was just something that told me the Avalanche was going to win that game, uh, the fact that they came back. But uh, Tampa blowing out the Avalanche, the Avalanche, the Avalanche, uh, the Avalanche in game number three tells me one thing. It tells me they're not going to go out that easy. Now, this is the same Tampa Bay Lightning team that was down two zero against the Rangers, came back. And won the series. Vasilovsky has been here before. Most of these players on this Lightning team has been there before. And winning back-to-back-to-back Eastern Conference uh, championships to get to the Stanley Cups and win back-to-back championships tells you that this team isn't going to go out without a fight. Now, Steven Stamkos, it, it seems like Steven Stamkos shows up to these games where uh, these are blowouts. And and when the games are close and the games are very competitive, he disappears on the ice. Now, what I have seen so far in this series, out of all the series that we've seen the Lightning play, is is that there's just something about this Lightning team, Speedy, that just shows you and tells you that they're not going to go out Without a fight. Yeah, and you've mentioned they win bunches a lot of the time. Outside of really the beginning of the Toronto series, it's really been that way. I was talking about it with uh, the Moneyline Mania crew on the weekend crunch, and I was uh, and Wes and Wes was mentioning it too. 
it's two at the end of that series against Toronto, then a sweep of the Florida Panthers, and they lose two to the Rangers, and they win four. So, it, And then they lose the first two of this series and looked pretty bad in the majority of those periods outside of the second period of game one. They looked really outplayed, outmatched big time by the Avalanche's speed and the Avalanche's depth. And it just they finally were able to turn a corner, and this is the kind of bunch type of game that they would need everything going at once. Colorado scored the first goal in Game 3, and then the Lightning just kept pouring it on, pouring it on. Vasilevsky made some tough saves, and they really just dominated after that, and this is the team that could definitely not only take advantage of the home crowd, but definitely take advantage of those types of things that win in bunches. Colorado, the other thing, too, is we saw this last year where they got really hot all at once, and then they, when they when they started losing, they would lose in bunches, too, so they have to avoid that kind of thing. Now, I think this team is different. I think they're a lot more battle-tested than they've been in previous years. And they're winning a lot of close games. So they just have to avoid getting these bad blowouts the way they've been doing. The way they did in game three just really fell apart. And also, when you look at this team, uh, obviously, Braden Point, I don't even think played in game number three. I I don't see anything that he, he played at all in game number three, which tells me that he's still not even 70, 80% to play in that series. Now, Braden Point is a big part of that team offensively. We've seen him last year in the Stanley Cup Finals. Saw him all throughout the playoffs. He was the best player on the ice for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And that's why, obviously, at the trade deadline, they made that trade. They they went after uh, uh, Brandon Hagel, who is a center, uh, who can win face-offs and also can put the puck in the net. Now, watching, you know, game number three, we saw a couple of things that really stood out to me. The best players on this Lightning team showed up. Victor Hedman had two assists, played dominant defensively. Nicole Kucherov had two assists, played dominant offensively, had six shots. I mean, how many players in the Stanley Cup Finals has six shots in one game? And then, obviously, Steven Stamkos, who had five shots, one goal, and one assist. And like I said, this is the problem with Steven Stamkos and Anthony Sorelli, who's a fantastic player, too. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the problem with Steven Stamkos. He shows up in these games where they're just pouring it on, but in the games that are close, he just does, even even the game the 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 game winning goal, knocking off the Rangers, and and that was the first time I've seen Steven Stamkos in the last three years show up in a game that was close and win the game for for the Lightning, right. and that's what you want to see. You want to see your best players do and. And Steven Stamkos, the last couple of years, he just hasn't been that player. And I maybe because he was coming off the uh, the blood clots and, and and maybe the injuries that he's had over right. the years, or mentally just doesn't feel comfortable, uh, you know, in cer- certain games. But um, I, I want to see more of Steven Stamkos. He's making a lot of money. He's one of the highest paid players in the NHL, and he's he's also one of the more likable players in in all of hockey. So to see this guy struggle in certain games, it makes you wonder. If this guy's head's in the game or head in the series half the time. So I, I, I like what I've seen with Steven Stamkos in, in game number three. I want to see more. I, I, it, the only way this Lightning team comes back and beats this young Avalanche team in, in a seven-game series is if Steven Stamkos is one of the lead offensive options to this team. You have to wonder, too, if like him being so much of a 
of regular season priority for the Lightning the way he had to play. He had over he had over 100 points this year because yeah, of points fantastic. points injury throughout the regular season too. So he had to take on kind of a bigger role now in the playoffs. And again, the wear and tear type of thing that you were talking about, all the injuries that he's had. Remember last year too, it was even a miracle that he was even playing towards the end of that playoff series yep. with all the with the injury issues he had last year, and then played well in the Stanley Cup against Montreal. He's too good of a player, yeah, for not to show up in the big games. I mean. He had a great season, 81 games. I mean, he, there's 82 games in the season. He missed one game. Yeah. He had 42 goals, 64 assists. He is an MVP candidate. I'm, I'm surprised he wasn't up or he's a top five, top six. But yeah, there's so just, many good players. Just, there's, so many, like, there's so many great MVP seasons that are just going to be wasted with the, the great seasons McDavid and Matthews had this year. Just both of them. Look at somebody like even like Jonathan Huberto, too, on Florida. Like There's a lot of them that have just – Goudreau on the Flames, too. A lot of them, they were just not going to be there just because it's insane. Kind of like we were talking about with the American League MVP last year. Like, how good of a year Salvador Perez had, and it just got overshadowed by what Vlad and Otani did. So, it's that kind of thing this year, too. And this is another year Nikita Kucherov can't stay healthy. And and that's alarming if you're a Lightning fan because this team is only getting older. I mean, this is not a young team. I don't want to sit here today and say that they're washed up. Kucherov is 29. He's going to be 30 next year. Now, as you've seen in the last couple of years, he hasn't stayed healthy. And now, when he is healthy, he's a fantastic play. He's a fantastic offensive option for this Lightning team. Steven Stamkos had to take a, you know, take a step forward this year, playing the 81 games, being the leader of this team, being the best player on this team. But when you have your, your other best player not playing a significant amount of time because of injury, and, and right now just hasn't stayed healthy, and it only comes back and plays in the playoffs... That's alarming to you as an organization to realize that maybe it, it, you're you're seeing some of these players slowly but surely um, break down. You wonder too if they're going to take on different roles as the not this series necessarily goes on, but just as, just as the natural progression of their current off-season status onto the next two years type thing. Maybe Brandon Hagel is they, what, what they think could be their next first-line type guy. Nick Paul, they trade for from Ottawa, too. He's kind of more of a second, third-line center right now, but is a good player, wins a lot of face-offs, and did have his best goal-scoring season as well. You wonder if those kind of guys can emerge and maybe either balance out the veterans that are on this, this core or just try to mix it up where it gets very interesting. We know John Cooper loves to mix up his lines, be very creative with his system, too. And we're seeing that in... Game three and the way they've adjusted. And I expect them to be able to do that same kind of thing again. Remember, Sorelli two years ago was a fourth line type guy. Now he's getting more top six minutes. So Uh, John's turned out to be some player. Yeah. So John Cooper's definitely not afraid to be able to elevate a young player if they feel like they need to. Now, this is Hagel's first playoff, and he's done a pretty good job. He was very good, especially at the end of the Rangers series, a big reason why Tampa came back and won. And Nick Paul, he's had his moments too. Had a big game seven against Toronto, which I guess is not hard to do because it's Toronto, but still had a good game as well against Florida. So now they're kind of elevating that where they don't have to trust just the veterans either. And Kucherov, he's been a great playoff player in the past as well, the last two years, especially I think he was second after point in terms of the overall mm-hmm. point total. And now Stamkos is kind of emerging in, a certain, in, in certain games into that too this season. And Kucherov's had his moments, but it, yeah, it hasn't been as like overall consistent and like deadly as we've seen in years past. And what happens to the, the Tampa Bay Lightning after this year? If they win or lose? Now, if they win, they bring this team back and they try to do it back-to-back-to-back-to-back years. So four years, they'll be the first team since the Islanders to do it if they can do it. But if they don't win this year, what does this team do? Now, obviously, Steve Steve Eisenman is no longer there. He's with Detroit. 
do they decide to part ways with certain players? Do they decide to trade away pieces where they, they can either rebuild this team or start to decide where this team and where this organization is heading in the next five to ten years? Um, it's starting, you know, when you have a dynasty like this, a dominant team like this, we've seen this with the Blackhawks. Yeah. And the Blackhawks had to make a decision with Panarin. And eventually they had to part ways with Panarin because they couldn't hold on to Panarin, Kane, and obviously um, Towns. Tames, Tames, I'm sorry. So it's a different – and then add Marion Hoster that was retiring. And there's just so many different players and different options. Teams get older. They obviously have to decide what they're doing. Look at the Blackhawks. They never could fix up what the mess that they made Mm -hmm. at the end of – you know, at the end of that – that run that they had. And then they had to fire the coach and, and they had to rebuild and, 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 and they still haven't rebuilt because they went different ways in the draft that didn't make any sense to build on Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane is right now 32 years old. He's on the tail end of his career. You should have moved Patrick two years ago mm-hmm. when he was at the top of his game where you could have gotten as much as you can for him. Now you're sitting on a contract where you're probably not going to be able to move, and if you do move it, you're not going to get as much back for it. That's This is why I keep talking about Chris Kreider. Chris Kreider had a fantastic year. He is 31 years old going into the season. He had a 50-goal season. The Rangers should move him because he had the year that he had last year because you can get the most – Back for him. But I, I, as we see a lot of these teams do, they hold on to these players too long. They can't move them, and you're not going to get back as much for them. So I think the difference, though, I think with Chris Kreider and Patrick Kane, though, is Chris Kreider, he's not, he, before this year, wasn't thought of as a natural goal scorer, so he could do other things to help this team. And the guys that are supposed to be the snipers of the Rangers can start being that again. This year was just kind of an anomaly where he happened to have the 50 goals. And yeah, you'll never see that kind of thing nope. again. So. But here's the other thing, too. The playoff leadership where they got this year. Like, if they just went out in the first round to Pittsburgh or something like that, yeah, they might have a little more of a case. But how well he did in those later games, not against the Lightning more, but the first two games against the Lightning and then later in the Carolina series, he was clutch, and he's a big leader for that. So much to the point where he tied Rod Gilbert in Rangers playoff goals all time. That says a lot for that kind of leadership, too. And even if he's not the one scoring the goals, he does other things. He hits, he passes. That's why you move him. So I, I think they, they don't know if, I don't know if they really have another player like him comparatively. Obviously, he's not more skilled than Patrick Kane. I'm not saying that. But I think his value is just something that the Rangers don't have another of at the moment. Maybe Lafreniere turns into that kind of thing because he saw, he's, we saw flashes of him hitting and passing in this, kind of, in this postseason, kind of. But I don't know if they really have that other type of player to do that at the moment. So that's the only reason I would just shy away from that. Just, just for how far they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Again, if they went out in the first round, it was just like, all right, they're a young team. They got knocked out by Pittsburgh. Yeah, I could understand that to an extent. I don't know about now since they made it this far. It's definitely an interesting story, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens to the Lightning in this Avalanche series and who wins the Stanley Cup because I think this could be the end of a dynasty, a team that has built a great core of players like Stamkos and Hedman and Vasilovsky and obviously Nikita Kucherov, who are four fantastic players, and I believe four Hall of Famers. All four of them are going into the Hall of Fame. They have been a dominant force of what we've seen in the NHL in the last five to seven years. So that says a lot about this team and this organization and the built the built way of champions that they have built over the last you know couple of seasons. Um, 
Gronkowski retires, okay? And I, I, a lot of people say, why are you getting into football? There's nothing to talk about. But Rob Gronkowski is a big deal, okay? I don't know if Rob Gronkowski is coming back, and we've seen this before. We've seen this twice, mm-hmm. and him coming back from retirement. And, and a lot of people said, even him, saying that he was going to come back. Now he's not coming back. Um, I saw the post on ESPN today that, uh, you know, he's he leads. He's like, in almost every single offensive statistic, he's number one of all time at his position. Now, Rob Gronkowski is a Hall of Famer. Do I think Rob Gronkowski is the best tight end I've ever seen? No. He's not. Now, that doesn't take away the, the sensational player that he is. He is a Hall of Famer, first ballot Hall of Famer, and nobody's going to argue that. What I will say about Rob Gronkowski is he is a unique personality, a personality that we're not going to see or you don't see very often. Players like that will always be remembered because of not what he does on the field is what he does off the field. And Rob had those, you know, the, those those things that stood out to him when he won those Super Bowls. I mean, the club dancing with his family, his brothers. I mean, uh, you know, the, just the cruise ships, the cruise ships, <laughs> yeah. the person, just his personality. I mean, that's what makes Gronk special. Not just his game and who he was as a player, but just his personality. And that that says a lot about a man. You know, not only as a boy that he came into the league, but he finished as a man because he didn't he didn't leave the game on the bottom. He left the game on the top, and uh, they were one game away from possibly going to another Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could have beaten the Rams. They came back in that Rams game. If they won that game, I say they they win the. I think they win in the uh, NFC title game and they go to the Super Bowl. I do. I, I think the Rams, obviously, it was their year going to L.A., but if they, they got past the Rams, I think they go all the way. The Rams, the Buccaneers' defense has always had trouble against the Rams, though, and they might have to meet that kind of thing again. But uh, in terms of Gronk, I would say he's probably, I would say top three tight end. I don't think he's number one. I think Gonzalez is still number yeah, so one. Well. And I think Antonio Gates has to be up there, too. He has, I think, 116 touchdowns or something like that. Now, Gronk can still get there. He currently has 92 in his career. So there's still time if he, if he does somehow come back, which... I wouldn't rule it out because he's always somebody that will, will show up at the most random times. He retired in 2019. He was almost traded to Detroit in 2018, then forced his way out. Then he decided to play again with the Patriots when a lot of people didn't think he would. He started 11 games that year, and I came on later kind of thing too. And even last year, he only played in 12 games too. So I think he, I would not rule out if he does end up coming back. I don't think he'll play the whole season, but he could come back later in the season too. It's just a matter of how his body really is because mm-hmm. he's always been known for his blocking because he had that big body, but always had great speed for his size too, where he made it harder to not only break tackles, but he has a bad elbow too. Yeah. I mean, he's had how many surgeries right. on that arm? So yeah, you wonder with that type of body type, can he, I guess, evolve his game to that kind of thing? And we've seen glimpses of it. He had he had a lot. Of, he still had seven touchdowns in twenty twenty six last year. He just again isn't the speed demon that he used to be for his size. But his catch percentage is still sixty one point eight, which is good. And again, it's still going to be a big red zone weapon and a blocker. If they do end up still having that strength, he's not going to be as big as before. But look at the Tampa running back situation right now. They don't have much of it, so they could definitely use a another big guy to help block for those guys to the smaller scat back types that they have now. Giovanni Bernard, the kid 
they just drafted Rashad White. So maybe they use him in that kind of role, too. And maybe that's something that comes in later in the season. I'm not completely convinced he's retired. I, I'm not completely convinced that he's retired either. But again, if he is, he's going to go down as one of the greats at his position. Uh, deserves a lot of credit for who he is as a player on and off the field. But again, the, the way I look at Gronk is not only a football player, but a character. He yes. is like a cartoon character, and he'll always be remembered as that. Nevertheless, he was played for the big, bad Patriots, and nobody liked Tom Brady and Gronkowski and Teddy Bruschi and all those teams, Rodney right. Harrison. But what makes Gronk so special is his personality and who he was on and off the field. So um, I wish... Rob Gronkowski, nothing but the best. If it is done, if he is done with his career and he is moving on with his his life and his wife or his fiance, um, nothing but the best to uh, the great Rob Gronkowski. Stark says Brett Favre says that Brady sucks and he's coming back. Gronk is the best on and off the field. LOL. Wait for Gronk to come out of retirement in week six. I don't think it'll be that early. I think it'll be like week twelve or something like that. Uh, Gronk could be the new new Mike Alstott. He was like that to an extent the way he broke tackles in his career. Obviously, different skill set for a tight end and a fullback. But yeah, I don't know about any more though. Snug. His body type is definitely not the same as the Mike Alstott big behemoth body type that he had in the beginning of his career as a tight end. You ever you ever look at your nails and you you know the skin that's above it like where you're uh, yeah you ever you ever try to peel it and you, you yes. play it? it's annoying isn't it, it get, mm-hmm. and if you start peeling it it bleeds uh, uh, it's yep. annoying man I've done that before that's, I, what do they call that I, they, I don't know the name of it I didn't even know there was a formal name for it <laughs> I just I either, it's just either peels or I just it feels to like a it needle sticking me in my finger right oh, now that's what it feels damn. like and I'm trying to. I'm trying to pour water on it to, to take away the pain that Damn. I'm getting through my hands. But I don't know if anybody's had that before with the skin. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, again, thank you to for the great uh, Rob Gronkowski and his career. And uh, I, first ballot Hall of Fame, no question. Oh, easily. Um, you know, Jeff called me today, and he, he was talking about the, the settlement on Deshaun Watson. And he says that if somebody settles – Somebody agrees to settle with those women. Obviously, there's some kind of truth behind it. I don't believe that. Now, I don't know what, you know, with the other four or six that are obviously prosecuting uh, and still pushing forward on um, the situation between them and Deshaun Watson. I don't know what is true and what's not. I do know that there that he has uh, obviously come out in said that he did sleep with one of them, but it was formally agreed upon both of them. And that girl wanted to date him. Mm. He wasn't interested. And the other two actually did some other sexual things to him, but they offered to do it. He didn't force them to do it. And he has proof of that as well through text messages. So I don't know what is true and what is not. But if I was a player, and I've sat out for two years, Finally went to a team that I want to play for. I finally got a big contract that I wanted. And I want to get this thing settled so I can get back on the field and play. I would want to settle with those women too, just to move forward, not move backwards. What's interesting about this is we'll never know how much he obviously settled with these 20 women. We don't know. Just like the Colin Kaepernick thing with the NFL, we don't know what. The NFL settled with him on just, you know, parting ways with the Colin Kaepernick thing. Now, it could have been a couple of million. It could have been 15 million, 20 million. We'll never know. 
But the interesting story behind Deshaun Watson is Deshaun Watson has been unfair to the public eye. And what I mean by that is as much as he's come out and, you know, spoke about him being innocent and all that other stuff, he hasn't been fair to the public on explaining why these stories are coming out now. Why did these women come out? Now, obviously, they could be lying. Right. Okay? But why is it their stories coming out that the the Cleveland I mean, I'm not the Cleveland Browns, the the Houston Texans allowed you to do to have these massages from all these different women in the facility if these stories weren't somewhat true. And that's why he's got a lot of explaining to do. Now he has his lawyer speaking for him, obviously. And that's what a multi-million dollar guy is going to do. He's going to have his multi-million dollar lawyer speak up for him. But there has to come a day, maybe not now, when this is all over, what Deshaun Watson is going to have to speak up. I watched a documentary recently on Chris Brown. Chris Brown finally spoke up on what happened with him and Rihanna and what how it ruined his career and how he went to jail for three months. And it was a very interesting thing when you when you when you see a guy that was so on top of the world like Chris Brown at one point him and Rihanna were the biggest couple in 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 the music industry and then all of a sudden all this stuff happened and it completely tortured his career ruined his career for a very long time until he figured it out same thing with Deshaun Watson Deshaun Watson was one of the top 3 top 4 quarterbacks in the NFL 2 years ago then obviously they want to play with the Texans. And then this story came out about a year ago. And now it's completely flushed away the greatness of what Deshaun Watson has done in the little bit of time he's been here, Speedy. You wonder, too, again, there's a, settlements that are there. And each settlement is going to be a different type thing. Now, uh, the attorney, Tony Busby, said that there were 25 lawsuits that have been filed since 2021. But a lot of them have been recently, too. And... Now they settled 20 of them. And, yeah, you were mentioning the uh, the first one. Uh, Ashley Solis was the first one to file a lawsuit against him, too, uh, and did not settle. So she, she was able to tell her story. Now, granted, more could come out later with these kinds of things, too. But for the settlement for now, you wonder how much of that is Deshaun Watson, how much of it is the NFL, and also the Texans, too. The Texans have been corrupt in other areas, too. We saw. Why isn't the Texans opening that's up? What I, that's what I'm about to get that. How many times do we hear Andre Johnson and DeAndre Hopkins and other former players complain about the toxicity that has went on in their front office for different racist things and stuff like that and the way they treat players how many play how many star players at the Texans dealt with all those injury issues in their careers like really the only one that's been steadily healthy has probably been Mario Williams in their franchise history all those linebackers JJ Watt Andre Johnson had a lot of injuries in his career could have been even a greater wide receiver than he was so I mean, there's a lot of issues going on with that and now you're having the facilities open for Deshaun Watson to get these massages that he wants. And I was hearing a lot of different players like saying like the only times in my career I got massages maybe was a total of like five in my career, not 60, whatever that they were saying that he had, whether that's all true or not is another question. But again, 20, 
24, 25 lawsuits in total now. now. Some of them have been settled. So I would imagine some are false, but I still can't imagine all of them are. Nobody is saying that all of them are false, okay? I didn't say that all of them were false, okay? But obviously the settlement of 20 different women, I, I believe that some of these women were just trying to get a money-paying day. Sure. And uh, Deshaun Watson just got this big contract, and, and, and I believe that some of that negotiation for that money up front had to do with this case, and Cleveland was just trying to help him get out of this, this, this problem that he, he built for himself. Now, again, I don't know the story. I don't know anything behind it. We can read whatever is posted or whatever is said by his lawyers or what, what these women are saying. That doesn't guarantee that these stories are 100% true. And I, I know Jeff's on the other yes, line. Yes, he is. So why don't you just put him through? I don't, I don't know why you guys make this big deal. Like, this is like the fourth time you've done it. Made this big deal about, oh, why would the Texans allow people to come in and give them a sign? Dude, every player has their own training staff that can come in and help these people. Everybody does. But yet you guys seem to think it's like a weird thing that nobody else does when everybody does it. Everybody. That often, though? The, the yes. rate that he wanted all it? all the time. Yes. Yes, all the time. Why do you think it became like a story they tried to – But first of all, Tom Brady was like the big story, and they were always trying to stir up drama. They bought a whole facility on the property for Brady's trainer. And everybody was going to him. Everybody. And if you think it was just New England, it wasn't. Because remember when Antonio Brown was like, I want my hundred grand back? Every player was using other trainers in every facility. So why does Deshaun Watson have to do that? Why didn't if Deshaun Watson wants to do it his way, he's got multi million dollar he he's got multi million dollar options. He can do whatever he wants. Right. He can do whatever he wants. So he prefers this masseuse or whatever. It's in the CBA that they it's not just the team doctors that have their say. That's why when you, there's always a dispute like, oh, this team wants this person to get surgery, but the player is seeking other options because they can have their own training staff and their own medical staff. That's that's an option these players have. Everybody can do it, but you guys make it seem like, oh, this is very weird. Well, and hold strange. on. You no guys, first of all, first of all, I, I, all we're it's saying. It's like the fourth time you guys have said it. You guys make it seem like it's a Because it's thing. a story. Not, what are you it, talking about? We're going to sit here. A, we have. Yes. Yes. Of, you're telling that, me it's not a story? You're telling that me that. Part, the, you're telling me. That part. Okay. Hold on. All right. That I'll let you speak, the, and then you let me speak. That, that part of the story is the biggest non-story of the whole thing? Really? Meanwhile, it's a big story right now, not only in the newspapers, but over here in New York, what they're talking about in our newspapers, stating that he the, the, the facility, that the Texans facility was allowing him to do it on team, uh, on team um, property. Yeah. Okay? So to sit here and say that it's normal to have 60 or whatever, 20 different women come on the property to massage him is Those not normal. People- those people probably don't know that it's a different person each time that Deshaun Watson is probably just going to security and saying, Hey, my masseuse is going to show up and they show up and they go, Hey, I'm here to give Deshaun Watson a massage. They go, well, right this way. He already told us. And you think that's normal. It is normal. It's normal. Just to have 25, 20, 30 <clears throat> different masseuse coming at listen, different times. Listen, That's listen, normal. Play, players can make requests of the team. And the team lets players do things like this all the time. Jeff, Jeff, come all on. All the time. How many times? How many, first of all, 
Do you think there was any player that you know in, in NFL, Major League, NHL, NBA history that in the time span that he had it, in Deshaun Watson's time span, that he that that some other athlete had 30 different massage, massage therapists come and no, massage that's, him? That's, that's probably, like, different, right? Like, that's, that's a whole different thing. But people have their own preferred uh, therapists that come and give them treatment Therapists, the not therapists. Okay? It, no, it is therapists. It is therapists. So it you're saying 30? I'm talking about 30 different people. Right, but look. Look at it this way. And they're all women, not men. All women. I understand that, but look at it this way. Say Speedy owns uh, Speedy's Massages, Uh and he's got 10 people that work for him. Okay. He might send a different person each time because they're all working under his company, correct? Mm -hmm. So it might not be that weird to see different people in and out doing things. It's his choice. It's in the CBA that those people, those players – can have treatments from their own people. But at one point, does it get a little suspicious when it's that money of the total massage? Not necessarily the person, because you're right. If they, Maybe they didn't find out if it was the company versus the person, but how many total that he's getting in comparison to these other right, players. But that, right, but that might be the only thing that Texans have liability for, is like, oh, was it the same company, or was it this, or was it right. that? But at, the, but at the end of the day, the Texans still can't say anything anyways, because he has the right to receive that treatment. A lot of these women didn't even know each other. So I don't even know if it's from the same company. It was probably right, from a different company. Right. You're taking that. Dude, you're taking this way too far. No, I'm not. Players have the right to get No treatment. question. But on right. team okay. property. So, so there you go. So no, on team property. It happens, uh, it happens all the time. All right. So they're responsible. The Texans are responsible for that to happen. Not Deshaun they're not Watson. Res- they're not responsible. Why not? They're it's not. on there. It's on team property. Listen, if you step on my property, okay, and you fall down and you hurt yourself, who's responsible? That's a whole different I'm thing. just asking you, who's responsible? It depends. Could I sue you? Because that's where you're going. You're going, oh, could you sue? I guess I could. Could I win? Maybe, maybe not. It depends if you're lot like negligent in the whole thing. That would be the thing. Oh, did you create an unsafe A fan gets knocked out on your turf, on your property. <clears throat> Could you sue the organization? It depends if they're negligent in or not, right? Because here's the thing. This is That's why you have insurance. Treatment. Hold on. Jeff. This is medical treatment. Mm-hmm. So what happens is they give them a private room with no cameras or no anything because okay. that's also illegal. Okay. And he receives the treatment. Okay, so there are teams over the years that have been uh, obviously sued for mental abuse, right? The, the the Knicks, obviously, with Isaiah Thomas, that lady sued the New York Knicks and won like two, three million dollars off the New York Knicks because it was on him for sexual assault. No, 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 she didn't sue him. She sued new the New York Knicks because it happened on their their their, uh, Madison their, their, Garden, their, yeah. their ground, Madison yeah. Square Garden. So she so, also sued the Knicks because he was like team president. It's fine, but she sued the Knicks because it, even though it was Isaiah Thomas that did it, he was working at Madison Square Garden when this happened. So, right, but he, but he's also was an executive with the company. He's like in charge of okay overseeing that. Okay, right. Deshaun Watson's not in charge of anything. No, of he was just a star quarterback of the team. Right. Exactly. He's just a player. 
the fact not in charge of the protocol. The fact is, it happened on team uh, team uh, you know land, and if if it's on team property, they're I believe they're held responsible for it. Not not the player. The team allowed this to go on. They let their star player do whatever he wants because he's their star player. Now I, I bring up the Knicks, and the fact is, it doesn't matter if it's the Knicks or any professional team. If you allow something to happen on your property, you're held reliable. You're responsible for that. Right. But as far as they know, he's getting a massage. Okay. They're not condoning some assault going no, on. I didn't I didn't say they were condoning it, but it happened on their property. So even right, though but, they but didn't condone saying, oh, it, but they're allowing it. No, I, I didn't I didn't it. listen, I'm using my own words on this. I'm not, well, I'm not the words the words on this matter because you're saying, oh, they allowed it. They allowed no. him they allowed him to have those people on uh, on the property to give him massages and different women. How are you are you that stupid of an organization to see thirty different women come in at different times from probably different companies and not understand what is going on? Are you that dumb? Are you that stupid? Yeah, but, but everyone – but here's the thing. Everyone has the right to uh, receive whatever medical care that they want. So it would be like – it would be like, you know, you go to a doctor or in this case the doctor comes to you, mm-hmm. right? And they they give you a treatment. You either don't like it or it's, you don't feel All like right. it's effective. So, so, and, okay. you're gonna, and you're going to go – Go to another doctor. Switch. Yes, you're going to go for right. another doctor. Okay, so you're going to go to 30 different doctors until you find the right one? I mean, Come on, right, Jeff. Right, but it's also a massage. I don't know if you know massage people. Like yeah, I do these, know. My, a lot I, of these I, athletes I, are picky on how they get their muscles working. I'm sure like they that. are. I'm sure they are in all different kinds of ways. Uh, I get that that's where you're taking it. but That's I was the way he was clean. taking it, obviously. Right, but I'm, I'm actually being clean about this. Yeah, one, I know. Right? Like I know. I know. Be clean too. kinds of massages. The fact is, Jeff, it, there's just something fishy. Now, I'm not I, – I, again, I believe that a lot of these cases he's innocent. I do believe it. I, I do believe that. So why are you being so because, hard on the team? If you don't think anything happened, not, the, I didn't the say Texans aren't responsible for anything. I didn't say there was nothing that happened. I said that I believe twenty out of the twenty-four accu- accusations or twenty-six accusations, I think they were just he just settled with them. He wanted to get them out of his hair. He said he probably gave what split five, six, seven million dollars to him. It's pennies. It really is, and and he wants to move on, but. For this story to go out the way it has, and, and saying that the Texans allowed this to go on 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 the pro- their property, I think they should be held reliable more than him. Because I mean, that shouldn't even that shouldn't even be what you're talking about or the yeah. story. Because even if you're going on what you believe and what yeah. you're saying, yeah. oh, 20 out of the 24 didn't happen. Then this man committed four sexual assaults. Yeah. Well, yes, and, and, and I'm more outraged that this man committed yeah, well, four yeah, sexual assaults. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, I'm not saying that he didn't, and but I'm also saying that there is also proof with three out of the four girls that they, that 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 his lawyer admitted that the one that he had sex with wanted to date him, and he said no after the fact. So I don't know if that's true. And the other two girls that supposedly he asked for things other than a massage. They, there's taxes after that. That when do you want and me to come back? When do you want me to you know come back in and give and, you another massage? So what does that tell you about thing. them? And all right, well, why don't why don't you go to your other counterpoint? Right. If you believe that he did not do a single thing in twenty out of the twenty four of these cases, 
Why is he going to make them sign an NDA and all this and pay them for their silence? If someone accused me or you or whatever and said, you did X, Y, and Z, and I know that I didn't, I would fight it to the bitter end and not pay for somebody's silence. Because he wants to move on in his career. And this is going to take a long time in court. Nothing's more valuable than your reputation, friend. Especially rep- when you're a football and, and, player and, 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 you, and, and half of your money comes from endorsements and selling products. And that will all go away now because everyone's going to be like, well, he sexually assaulted 26 women. You, you, want, to, you want to make a bet that he's going to get more endorsements if he wins a Super Bowl? If he brings a Super Bowl home to Cleveland, the endorsements will be pouring. Nobody's even going to care what he did. Nobody's going to care. Mean, we'll see. We'll see. Michael Vick. Here, when was the last the that Cleveland Browns won a championship? Before the Super Bowl <laughs> era. Okay, so right. if he brings it home to them, it's like he's God to that area. Endorsements will pour in right. no matter what. Maybe, but maybe not because most big endorsements are national companies. Yep. And just because he would be liked in Cleveland doesn't mean the rest of the nation would like him. And look at how much... Michael Vick was tarnished, and he wasn't even really the one doing the dog fighting. It was his brother, and Michael Vick was found guilty because it was his house that they were doing at, and they said he should have known better, mm-hmm. right? And so, and and he was and proven it, guilty. It, he is not proven. He's not going to jail for what he did. He didn't. He's, this right, is not criminal. This is right, civil. But, right, but what Michael Vick did isn't even close to as bad as. And by the way, at a minimum, four sexual assaults is what you're saying. Right. Yeah, but there's still no one proof. Would that be, it, one would be. It might not even four. be a sexual assault. It might be nothing. So and it, then paying twenty other women for their silence, even though oh, maybe he didn't do anything wrong, but I'm going to pay them off anyways. The fact is, Jeff, and I'm I'm not arguing with that. I think it's despicable if this if the story comes out that he did sexually abuse these girls, which. As I was telling you, there, there's a lot of stories coming out that they're going to prove him to be innocent. Now, if they do, no harm, no foul. Now, if there is, he should never play football again. But to me, he already is trying to get out of this. We saw what he's doing. He's trying to move forward, and he's not even looking past what he has done or what is accused of him in the past. And I believe... That one way or another, he's going to play this season, even though everybody thinks that he's going to be sitting out another season. Oh, he won't be. Yeah, I, I would be. I'd be willing to bet that it's at least a full season suspension. I, I don't. I think he's going to. Play. I think he. I think he'll be sitting out for six to seven games in the NFL because the NFL still has it. It's going to be far more than six to seven games because six games is the baseline minimum. Here's the reason why I I don't think he's going to sit out as much because there's no proof that he is criminally. Uh, you know. A, a, there's no proof that he's criminally being pushed uh, to be criminalized from what he did. It was a civil case. The, everything from how many how many court systems? I mean, uh, top eight One. courts. There was two of them, two of them that that didn't want to take it to the criminal courts. I don't know exactly what it was, but there were two courts that obviously pushed it away from being a criminal case. So obviously, there's enough information, enough stuff that they have to prove that he didn't criminally uh, abuse these women. That's also not why you get criminally prosecuted either. You're kind of skewing that as well. Okay, so why? Because because prosecutors look at it as we need proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Right. And a lot of, t- and a lot of times they won't do that because it, the, the evidence that they have doesn't meet the standard of proof. Right. Because a lot of these girls probably didn't have like a rape kit done 
you know, because you need to have that done in a timely manner. And a lot of that is is what they want. They want hard, like either DNA evidence yeah. or fingerprints or, you know, like that kind of Some thing. Some kind of visual that, evidence, yeah. Right. And when that doesn't exist, it makes it harder for them. So that's not exactly saying, oh, there's nothing there. They're all they're doing. Is I'm not, not again, I, and, and I'm not saying he's innocent. Okay, you make it seem when I say say, to say that he's not innocent, or I say that he is innocent. You you're trying to flip. No, I'm not on. flipping it. I'm telling you that the Texans should be responsible for some of this, not sitting on their hands and making him pay for everything because they allowed it to happen on their property, and that is the truth and facts. And if that is true. To, and, 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 and it has come out to be true, well, then they're responsible for it, too. And it shouldn't be coming out of just Deshaun Watson's right, but, pockets. Right but, right, but this is where the non-prosecutable part comes, right? Because if, if these things happen to these women and they just leave the building without saying anything, then what's the team to do? The, the team isn't in there with him when he's getting a massage, so they probably think, oh, everything's normal and fine and whatever. And they've left. And then when you're making the complaint months and months and months later, how's the team supposed to go, oh, well, we knew about this? No, no one said anything. It doesn't matter what they know. If somebody got killed on property, but, on but a property, the are they responsible for it? Yes. But the, but, but the team can't change any of the protocols that they have unless no, they know but, about it. Again, Jeff, you're right on some of your thoughts, but you're also wrong that when it, anything happens on property, why they have insurance policies. That's what protects not only the players, the fans, and the organization in case somebody wants to sue them. And if I was one of these women, I would say, you know what? Screw Deshaun Watson. He's, I, I, I'm going to get pennies from him. I'm going to go after the Texans because I could get a hell of a lot more money. You wouldn't be going after the Texans then. You'd be going after their insurance company. That, exactly. And that's what I would do. That's what I would do. You also have to figure out too the the magnitude of it. Now, obviously, all the all the charges are bad. Obviously, with all the sexual assault, extremely not, bad. Yeah, so I'm not I'm not trying to compare the situation, but the Texans also could be trying to quote unquote cover up. Now, I'm not saying they're more guilty than Watson is, obviously, because Watson has some cases that are outside the team facilities too. I would imagine there's 24, 25 cases. Obviously, twenty of them were settled, but still, that doesn't mean they didn't happen. Or like you were saying, they could be more information that comes out, Jeff. So it's possible that. The, the Texans could be covering it up too, and still get some some blame. Not all of it. Deshaun Watson will get the majority of it, I would imagine. I mean, as he should. Well, yeah, of course, as he should. Yeah. he's kind of a piece of shit. Hmm. All right. Well, we we don't need to curse, but you're you're right. He's not a, he's not a good person, and obviously, in the long run. Everything will come out one way or another. Maybe not. Everything's everything this dude has done is tried to be like a PR move to make him seem like a good person, and it's also cheesy and transparent. Did he? So he bought his number from one of the cornerbacks on the Browns, mm-hmm. and and walked up to him while he was given a press conference and handed him a Rolex, like obviously you said already trade, the Rolex mm-hmm. for the number. Right? Why are you doing that in front of people? Because he's trying to make himself seem like a decent guy all of a sudden. Well, I, I I don't know if he's if anything that makes him look bad. Why would you do that in front of the press? That doesn't make you look good. Because it shows you like, I'm a nice guy. It shows you you're an idiot. It shows you that you're that doesn't make you a nice guy. Paying somebody, you're you're giving somebody a Rolex to buy your way into that number. That that doesn't make you a good guy. It shows you you're an ass, and that and that you would do anything to get what you want. So that just shows him to be bad because you're willing to open up your pockets to just get I mean, just get away with that. It. 
but he did that in front of people thinking that it was going to be the nice gesture when he could have just done it in the locker room when no one was around. You're right. Maybe you're right. But obviously he didn't do it that way. And and it made him look bad. But again, when we Typical we go, Clemson Tiger. <laughs> the fact is when when you look at the big picture, I, I I really if I was one of these ladies, I would say, you know what, I'm going after the big dog. I'm not going after the small dog. And I know the Texans will settle. Especially with the background with their owner mm. and everything that's happened in the in the past I, over there. You know, you know, another th- a problem that, and listen, I don't know if it is a problem or not a problem, but a lot, of, but a problem that these women could have in doing that too is, I'm sure, I know I'm not, I know you're not, but none of us are experts in Texas law because that's where it happened, right? And maybe in Texas, something precludes that from happening, right? I don't know. I, we we don't you know, know, and I, I I don't know. I haven't looked at the book of laws over there in Dallas, Texas, right, or wherever. Right, it is. but it's Houston. different. It's different. You know, listen, I live in Florida. It's different here than yeah. it is where you would do, are in New York. It's actually it's more stricter over there, I think, in Florida, right? I don't know, man. We got a lot of crazy things going on here. I mean, you could. It's a death penalty if if you you practically do those things. No, I'm I'm talking. I'm not talking about rape or anything. But it, it could be the yes, death penalty. Yes, we still have the death penalty. Yeah, so it's not, it's not over here in New York. So if you kill right. somebody over there, you, you can be right. sent to death. Right, but that's the, that's the punishment part. But, like, there's different, you know, things that, you know, laws are different in different places. So who of knows? Maybe, maybe it would be so much harder for her to sue the team, and right. that's why they didn't. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I got you. Maybe that's well, part of the problem. Again, I, I – don't know the laws over there in Texas, but uh, again, you're 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 right on a lot of. And cases. I'm an idiot. I know nothing about the laws, so maybe that's not true. But I mean, I don't think you're that, that stupid, why Jeff. Why wouldn't they have done that before? Why wouldn't they have done that I don't before? Know. Why wouldn't they have sued the NFL, the know. Texans, and Deshaun Watson? I don't know. I and and I'm sure. I'm sure one way or another you're going to hear that story come out soon because <laughs> I don't think it's over. I, even if they get out and they get paid. Deshaun Watson pays those ladies off. I really believe that it won't be done. I think they'll find a way to go after the NFL or find a way to settle with the Texans to get more money. And Who I knows? maybe that's part of the NDA that they can't. Yeah, maybe that maybe you're maybe you're right. I, I I don't know. And maybe one way or another, this story will eventually come out. Maybe at the end of Deshaun Watson's career, but we'll. We'll find out everything one way or another. We always do. Very, very refreshing to see a crime being committed not by a Dallas Cowboy, right? Don't you feel like this is completely out of the ordinary? <laughs> Snook says, "Yep, prosecutors have enough to get, have to have enough to get a conviction, or they move on." The case is mostly he said, she said, not enough for conviction, but enough that Watson doesn't want you to know what happened. The strength of the case is the number of people with similar stories. Absolutely. The bigger question: Why did the Browns think this contract was a good idea? Well, yeah, that's a whole other question and that's the Browns level of the dysfunction story again. Is, the biggest story I don't is think that, I don't think that is a level of dysfunction the contract is warranted given what uh, other quarterbacks are making and given where Deshaun Watson is in that kind of pecking order oh for sure like, for his playing I know I know that but, but that's it's the ultimate for. it's the ultimate boomer boss move though that uh, which snug brings up a good point the biggest story uh, is is what what is Deshaun Watson th- Deshaun Watson's girlfriend think about this whole story I she's mean by him. I, I can't believe that I mean after all this stuff that's going on 26 she saw that women, contract and she decided she didn't care uh, it seems like it I mean she's sticking by him and and these and while she was with him, he was sleeping around with different women. So that just shows you that he's unfaithful. Why would she stay with him? 
But again, it is money, and money talks. So it's just it's funny when you when you look at it and you look at the big picture of everything. Not the story. I don't think the story is funny, but I I think it's just the way the world works. And when you see all the money and, and that these players are making and where they're from and what they get out of the whole situation, it just shows you how disgusting this world is. It it it, it really is not only about money and greed, but just the way these athletes think they can get away with anything. You know, and that that that's, that's annoying been their to me. Whole lives though, that's been their whole lives. Really, though. they had they, nothing they, all their their whole lives. No, that's no, 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 no. That's not true. They get shit all the time, right? Think of, think about this. Even before there was NIL, the college football players that were stars were getting thousands of dollars. Oh yeah, from the the, the the merchandising and the the video games right. when they had the NCAA video games. Yeah, dude, you can go back to you can go back to when Eric Dickerson was cr- recruited by SMU and they gave him a gold Corvette. Mm. Mm. Right, like these people have been getting things for a long time, and even then, in high school, when you're the star athlete and you're going to get offers. You know, like teachers will just pass you, give you passing grades. Okay, we don't want to screw up your future. We know what it is, that kind of thing. Like they've been treated differently their whole lives. Stop pretending like that hasn't been the case. No, and I'm These not. kids have been getting away with a lot, even before. Jeff, like, even if they had no money, they've been getting away with a lot. Jeff, I'm not pushing that away, and I'm not saying that it's not true. Okay, all I'm saying is, is that. I, it's just mind-boggling to me that these players, and we've seen this before. This isn't the first time this stuff has happened. This has been going on. Domestic violence has been going on in professional sports for the last, what, decade. Finally, the NFL and, and professional sports has put their foot down and are stopping it. They're not stopping it. They're just not turning a blind eye to it anymore. Right? Exactly. Why? I mean, problem, because because women are standing up for the first time. They're actually standing up for themselves. Yeah, this problem has been a problem for a really long Forever. time. I mean, the, the only people that get more concussions than football players are their wives. <laughs> Snook says, Florida man is the best, only the strangest crime come out of that magic state. We'll see which lady writes the first book. Yeah, that could be the ripple effect that it takes for that kind of thing, whether it's a book, whether it's just one statement that uh, all the other ones could come out, even the ones that did settle. It's disgusting. Yeah, absolutely. All these stories. It's a boring behavior, dude. It's disgusting. No man should put their hands on any woman. And and, and, and when you even sexually, abusively, anything, especially if the woman doesn't want it. So. Uh, it's an interesting story. I definitely want to. Well, what woman's asking for abuse? That's crazy. Well, that there there are women out there that are, that enjoy that. So, oh Jesus, they're, they're, I'm not lying. I mean, am I am I wrong? I mean, there are people out there that are crazy. You're so crazy sometimes. Why am I crazy? Am I wrong? Yeah. Abuse okay. is abuse, and it's all. I'm not talking wrong. about like, that kind of abuse, Jeff. That's not what I'm talking right, then, about. Then, if it's consensual, then you wouldn't have a problem. Uh, well, which is entirely what we're not. talking Well, again, about. Uh, okay, we can go back to uh, a, a pitcher that is accused for abuse when <clears throat> there is facts that there are text messages that she wanted it, and that's that's Trevor Bauer. Right, and, and, that's and Trevor you, Bauer. Right. And you and you focus on okay. that. She says that it wasn't consensual because in the end. Here, here's a fun fact for you, mm-hmm. since you, you, you love the law so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, when someone's unconscious, they're unable to consent. So anyone that does anything to them, yes, that would be abuse. And that's where Trevor Bauer comes in, because he admits that he choked her till she passed out and then did things to her. Which, by the way, 
She's passed out. Game over, dude. Game over. But you can't do it. She, okay, that's and I agree with you. But she obviously asked him. There's then, proof then that she, she did. Be complaining if that was the case. She's complaining because she wants money. It's all about you know Trevor Bauer had that big huge contract from the L.A. Dodgers. That's why she did it, and and, and that's the only reason why she did it. But again. It's, it doesn't make it fair. It doesn't make it right for what what what, what happened. That's disgusting what he did, and unfor- you know it's unfortunate that she had to withstand what she did. But again, she wanted it, so it doesn't make it right. And that's why it's not a criminal case. It was a civil case. But she'll, he'll never play baseball, professional baseball again, because no team is going to give him a shot after hearing that story. It's despicable. Which tells you all you need to know about the accusation. Well, it also tells you what what you need to know about who he is as a player. So. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. Because people don't like him as it is. It has nothing to do with what he is as a player. Really? It has nothing to do. Yeah, no, it has nothing to do with with how he plays baseball. No, I didn't say it that. How, how, he was, how, he, how he was on the field, it does. People didn't like him. His own teammates didn't like him. No, none of the Dodgers does. But that has nothing to do with the fact. Yes, it does. Of what any of the actors. It has nothing it, to do it, with it. It does when the league is trying. Here's what it is. If he was a likable person, okay, just like Greg Hardy, if he's a likable person, and, and and Greg Cardi wasn't a likable person, but he was a player that was still good. If he was a likable person and all this happened, and after all this thing got settled, I believe Bauer would, would still have a chance to make it to the major leagues. But because he was hated by so many people, including owners, he'll never step on the field again because he was hated. So it does have something to do with being liked and not being liked. It does. So he doesn't. He doesn't have any respect for anybody. You saw what he did with his coach, Frank, Frank Terry Francona. He threw right. the he threw the ball all the way in the outfield in the in the bullpen. Okay, when the coach wanted the ball out of his hand. Yeah, and I think the other thing too is when you have a case that nobody nobody's condoning what he did. He's disgusting. He's despicable. I I don't condone anything for any woman to get hurt or abused, sexually abused, anything. Even if they wanted it, no man should do it. Well, yeah, and there were other there were other ones that came out too. It wasn't just the initial, uh, the one that we heard with the rough sex allegedly that he claims happened mm-hmm. with the chokehold. There were two others that came out even uh, what was it three months ago, four months ago, yeah. with some other accusations as well. So that doesn't really bode well for his case right now. Oh. Not only to not only to play again but even just like he just wants avoid his money. the charges he yeah. just wants his money and he's going to get his money but he, he they can't suspend him as long as they did because it i mean he was out of significant amount yeah of it's time. right now labeled as indefinitely i think so yeah it, so he, he's going to get some of his money back and you know he, he still could retire right now and and be a multi-millionaire and his kids will be multi multi multi-millionaires He's he's made himself enough money to survive for a very long time. So Trevor Bauer doesn't have to play baseball ever again, and he's going to be, a, you know, he's worth about ninety million dollars. Yeah. Okay, so it's, but it, it doesn't make it right for what he did, and, and obviously this this girl's looking for a payday, which I don't know if she's going to get one because there's more than enough proof to show that she accepted that. I wouldn't want Trevor Bauer playing on my team. That's no, for sure. Definitely not. I, I wouldn't, because especially with all the players and they all have wives and even Chapman, what he did to his, you know, which everybody was jumping on me and shot at his girlfriend or whatever, his wife or his fiance, whatever. I, I think he's a despicable person too, you know? I, I, I think, uh, uh, what's his name again, who's right now still sitting out, he should be back in the second half of the season from the Yankees. Um, uh, uh, Herman, yeah. Herman, who hasn't, hasn't really stepped on the field yet. I mean, he's going to get a chance to step on the field again as a Yankee. Should the Yankees bring him back? No, but will they? 
Yeah, of course, if he's still a good pitcher. Yeah, he might have a hard time making it back into the, the, the nah, staff. No, he's not getting the in that rotation. I know. With He'll the be way, in the bullpen. Yeah. He'll be in the bullpen. But he's probably going to be like at the bottom level of the bullpen. He's going to have to work his way back. Yeah. Because that unless bullpen is deep, too, unless there's like five injuries in there or something. Unless there's an injury. Yeah. But, you know, but he, he'll, he'll get a shot again. The Yankees will give him a shot. Yeah. Even though half the players don't like him. And the, yeah, yeah, the Yankees had that kind of case already with Chapman too, so they probably are trying to at least make it differently. Now, I don't think, no, I don't think it, the the Dodgers didn't sign Chapman initially because of that. So there was also issues with uh with Cincinnati before that too. So it wasn't just the Yankees, but it still was an issue that they speaking, had to take on. Speaking of the Yankees, uh, to finish up our show tonight, uh, Manny Ramirez spoke um, yesterday about Derek Jeter. And they were interviewing him, and they were, he was talking about ex-players. He talked about David Ortiz. He talked about some of the great players he played against, even Alex Rodriguez. The one player that he wanted to take a shot at, which is so surprising, is Derek Jeter. And Manny Ramirez comments that if Derek Jeter played on any team but the Yankees, he would have been a regular, ordinary player. He would have never been the player he became as a New York Yankee. And, you know, it's so interesting about this story because I've been saying this for years. And everybody's going to say you're a Derek Jeter hater. I am a Yankee fan. I never liked Derek Jeter. Never did. I tried to interview him three times. I interviewed him, I guess, half halfway through. And the guy was just very, very rude. So I lost a lot of respect for Derek Jeter as um, a player off the field. On the field, he did a lot of great things. 3,000 hits. One of the greatest overall hitters at his position. Um, was he four-time gold glove winner, three-time gold glove winner? Fantastic. He wasn't even the best shortstop on his team his, practically his whole career. There, Alex Rodriguez was the best shortstop on that team. He was moved to third base because that was the agreement with the Yankees when he got traded there. And he signed there. Now, I sit here today and, and you ask me, do I think Derek Jeter is one of the greatest shortstops of all time? On paper, yes. He also played for one of the greatest franchise and one of the greatest era for baseball for the Yankees at that time. In the 90s, 96, all the way to, I would say, now, the Yankees have been a winning organization. And they have won... How many titles? Five titles in that time? Span? Yeah, they won four. They four in the five years, and then two thousand nine. They've won five titles, and he's won all five. He's been a part of all five of those team championships. And what did he do well in in the early time of the nineties? Yes, absolutely <sighs> did. But Derek Jeter's, I think, greatness comes from the team that was great in front of him. They had a great pitching staff, one of the great relief pitchers of all time, the best relief pitcher yeah. of all time. They had good first basemen, Tito Martinez. They had great outfielders, Paul O'Neill, and, 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 and all the different players they had over the years uh, out in the outfield, the Bernie Williams of the world, and, and the players that they had over there. And you look at this team, you, you look at that team at that time, uh, they had so many Hall of Famers. That pitching staff. I mean, Jimmy Key's a borderline Hall of Famer. Um, you have uh, Roger Clements should be in the Hall of Fame. David Wells was one of the best game, big game pitchers we've ever seen. Andy Pettit, borderline Hall of Famer. I mean, we could go up and down Steroids. those rosters. What happened? I, I know. But uh, we go up and down those rosters that the Yankees have had. Derek Cheetah wasn't even the best player on that team. He wasn't even the second best player on that team. But everybody insists to keep giving Derek Jeter 
all the credit, including my Yankee friend, saying that Derek Jeter is a god. Now, is Derek Jeter a first ballot Hall of Famer? With his numbers? Absolutely. Was it, did he deserve to complain that he didn't get 100% of the votes? Babe Ruth <laughs> didn't get the 100% of the votes. Joe DiMaggio, uh, Joe DiMaggio Joe, Luke Garrick, Mickey Mantle, much better players than you were. Never got anywhere close to the amount of votes that you had. And because Mariano Rivera got 100% of the votes because he was a likable player, you're going to jump off the plank and tell people that you, you, you're disgraced? That tells me about Derek Jeter as a person. Now, as a player and as a leader, yeah, he I guess he was a great leader, but a lot of people that I've heard through the Yankees farm system and said that Alex Rodriguez was more the leader in the locker room than Derek Jeter was in the in the 2000 era. Robinson Cano said it. Melky Cabrera. All those players. All the players that were on the team. They all said that Alex Rodriguez was more of the leader type than Derek. Derek Jeter was the quiet guy. He played, He his game was played on the field. And that's how people followed him, is by, by how hard he played. But it, it just tells you what Manny Ramirez, and I, listen, I don't care what Manny Ramirez says because he did steroids, he cheated too, and, and whatever, okay? But Manny Ramirez coming out and saying that, he's not too far off on that that. That thought. That, 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 again, that's not taking shots at Derek Jeter. That just tells you what people think of Derek Jeter as a, as a player if he wasn't on the Yankees, that Yankee roster. Because, again, he was in between some of the greatest hitters of that era. Bernie Williams is a batting champion. Paul O'Neill was one of the best clutch players we've ever seen. Tino Martinez, at that time, was one of the best power hitters in the league. I mean, if you go up and down that roster... That roster, Scott Brosh just won an MVP in the playoffs. He was a great playoff hitter. Jorge Posada, who yep. I think got, you know, got pushed out of a Hall of Fame nomina- nomination. Now, I, do I think he's a Hall of Famer? No. But, I mean, he had over 300 home runs. They're so picky with catchers. It never makes sense. He had 300 home yeah. runs. I mean, most catchers that hit close to 300 home runs are Hall of Famers. Right. So the fact that he's not there, it, it doesn't make any sense. But he wasn't a likable, uh, you know, player either. He, some people said he was a uh, not a nice person. They kept Thurman Munson out, so and he could he obviously had the he wasn't he so. wasn't in a league too long enough. He got, but again, you know, the, the, died, the value yeah. the value of like certain Hall of Famers. If Thurman Munson played another two or yeah. three years, well, he was a Hall yeah, of Famer. Yeah, right. But I'm just saying, as a result, they're still fussy with the position in general. Unless you're like Johnny Bench or Mike Piazza or something like that, it seems like you're not going to get in. <laughs> It's just so interesting how Manny Ramirez brought up this story. And, and, and listen, I've been saying it for years. If he went to Kansas City, he, he's not a Hall of Famer. And it, it, I don't think he has 3,000 hits. He'll be lucky if he had 2,000 We've 2, been saying hits. it for years. Most of these Yankees are just bums. They're not bums, and he's not a bum. Okay? And to sit here to say Derek Jeter's a bum, then you, you obviously— Overrated. I do, think he, I, I do think he's overrated. I, I've always thought that Derek Jeter was got 3,000 hits. That's worthy of getting in the Hall of Fame. But to, like, people romanticize him. Well, like, 3,000 like hits, 2,000 runs, short, right? 2,000 runs. Like, he was the greatest short. shortstop in the history almost, of the game, which is just ridiculous. I mean, he almost had 2,000 runs. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. 358 stolen bases. Yeah. I, I just said he's a Hall of yeah. Famer. But I'm just saying the way they romanticize him yes. is it's only because he played in New York. If he yes. played in... 
Anaheim or Kansas City yes. or Seattle, mm-hmm. it wouldn't even be close to the same. No. I, I don't think look, he has anywhere look, close to those numbers. Look at it this way. Like, th- think about this, right? Just think about how insane this is. Everyone romanticizes Jeter like he's the greatest player that ever played. Dude, Ichiro had a better career in the majors than Derek Jeter. No question. And that's not even – right. And no one mentions Ichiro doing anything. They're like, ah, Ichiro, kind of an afterthought. Yeah, because why? Because he played in Seattle. If Ichiro was a Yankee his whole career, everyone would have been like, oh, my God. We got this. We got the greatest player who ever lived after playing in Japan for like a decade. Greatest right? Japanese yeah. player to ever play. Mm-hmm. I mean, him. I mean, they had J- Matsui, who uh, who had a great Yankee career. Right. He really did. Right, but think about it. Think about it. Ichiro wasted, what do you wait, six years, seven years yeah. of his career in Japan and led that league in hits all time and whatever. He would have right? 5,000 hits at, if he played in the major leagues for all that time. Right. Right, and and people forget how much time he was wasted, and it's way above and beyond anything Derek Jeter ever did, and he's an afterthought. I think he was the quickest to 3,000, wasn't he? I'm pretty sure, yeah. I think I, I think he was. I think Suzuki, right, Ichiro think about Suzuki how funny was, that is. We're all agreeing that everyone looks past him, but Jeter gets romanticized because he played for the Yankees, and no one remembers Ichiro because he was a mariner. Well, yeah, and and the Mariners and the Yankees so were about, arch So enemies. think about now if Derek Jeter had the exact same numbers in a different uniform, everyone would have gone, yeah, you know, he's a Hall of Famer, but not that great. You're probably right. And, and that's why I think Manny Ramirez speaking up and saying what he he has said, I agree with him. I, I don't think Derek Jeter would be would have been Derek Jeter, uh, captain, you know, everything that he has become – and the superstar that he became because he was in New York. I, I think that is absolutely true. Manny Ramirez hit it square on the button. I mean, it, it, that that's a bullseye. I just think it's funny how this just comes out now. I've been talking about it for years. Speedy, have I not been talking mm-hmm. about this for years? Derek Jeter, uh, if he went anywhere, I said it. Overrated. If he, it I've always thought that Derek Jeter is overrated. I've had arguments with my friend Barry, who's a diehard Jeter fan, and I said that Alex Rodriguez was a better player, and and Alex Rodriguez was the better Yankee, and he thought thought I was nuts. And I said I I do think there's something to you being crazy as far as that goes because mm-hmm. it's hard to it's hard to say Alex Rodriguez is the better player because and and listen I give him credit for this right you got to give him credit where it's due Jeter did it clean A Rod didn't. A Rod was and nobody very said much that Ari, a dirty uh, baseball player. Nobody said that Alex Rodriguez was a good guy. Okay, and I'm I'm not. Right, saying, he tried to have people killed. Yeah, I'm not saying he's a good guy. I I met him. He was very nice to me. You know what I mean? I thought he was very nice to me. He never argued. We had a great sports conversation. We were talking about football, baseball. Great. Okay, I, but again, I don't know him personally, so I can't say who he is behind you know behind closed doors. I do know what Derek Jeter is because I, I've met him quite a few times and he wasn't very nice. So, uh, and I've heard that, you know, I know people that have, have been friends with Derek Jeter a long time. He's not very uh, nice when it comes to people at restaurants and tipping people. 
He's not a very nice person. So, by the way, Ichiro was the seventh fastest of the live ball era to get to to get to three thousand wow. hits. Tony Gwynn was actually the fastest. Wow, two thousand two hundred eighty-four career games, and Jeter was ahead of him too. I think he was third. It was him, Stan Musial, then Gwynn or Gwynn Musial. D- Jeter were the top three. Jeter also played in between some of the best lineups sure. in baseball history. Right. Who did Ichiro protect? Uh, who was protecting? Yeah, Ichiro? like his earliest career. Yeah, but the, yeah, there was that, nobody protecting. There, there was him. yeah after that after the two thousand one season. The Mariners went into whole dysfunction. <laughs> there was nobody protecting him. I mean, he was the best hitter on that team. Everybody yeah, knew it. And they still couldn't get him out. So it, they were trying to pitch around him. They still couldn't get him out. Mm-hmm. So that's why I, I agree with you, Jeff. Ichiro is a much better player than Derek Jeter. And anybody right, but that, the, all I'm talking about is how, how Yankee fans talk about Jeter. Like, he was the greatest guy. Like, dude, there's so many better players. It's just they romanticize this dude. Crazy. It's insane. Yeah, well, unfortunately, this is the way professional sports and professional teams. And I mean, that's not professional sports. That's one fan base. Just it's not just the Yankees. It's not just the Yankees, dude. It, it really isn't. I could I could go through organizations and what they have said about their players that are so false. So it's not just the Yankees organization. Of course, you want to throw the Yankees under the bus because you hate New York, and that's great. But I don't hate New York. Yeah, I, I think do. it's a, I I have fun in New York. I think it's a great great city. Mm. It's just the people that inhabit it suck. <laughs> not all I mean, people. Just the worst people. Not on the planet. all the people are like that, Jeff. I'm sitting here right now. I am not like that. So. To say that uh, you're not a good representation of, of what Yankee fans are, you're rather annoying. Well, thank you, thank you for your compliments, Jeff, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Sounds great. Beef still sucks. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Wonderful. The great Jeff. Beef is even call, and he already gets the jab out. <laughs> Wonderful. Great show, by the way. Uh, thank you to uh, Tim Alcorn for joining us, giving us the time as always. Uh, thank you also to former Tiger and White Sox relief pitcher Bruce Randone for joining us and giving us the time as well. Uh, we'll be back Thursday. Who we got on Thursday? Thursday at 10 o'clock, we got the return of Duke quarterback Riley Leonard will be joining us. I like Riley. Yeah. And then uh, he'll be at on 10. And then returning to the show also was a probably two years ago. He had him on in July. Uh, former 49ers, Broncos, and Packers Super Bowl champion linebacker Dyrell Briggs. Oh, Briggs is coming on again? Yes, he is. Oh, awesome. That'll be fun. Uh, mm-hmm. He had a lot of fun the last time. Oh, yeah. Was, so good. good. Uh, Briggs coming on. So we have a great show lined up for you Thursday. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Thank you to all the fans that support us on everything that we've been doing, not only on the Sports Loudmouths and our network with all the different shows we have, but on the Weekend Crunch and, and all the different guys that have moved on with their careers and, and, and doing the things that they're doing, big things, and as we will as well. But thank you for all the support and, and all the opportunities to do what we do best, and that's entertain you guys. Um, we'll be back Thursday at 9 p.m. Until then, this is Errol Marks and Speedy PD saying good night, and we'll talk to you then. Good night. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.